Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. LFG, let's go! It's a Friday of a Thanksgiving weekend. Michael Ball in the Sports Cage with my buddy Sean Kleisinger. I'll bang out some numbers and talk some sports. We're here for you. 936-6262. The number to call locally. 1-866-767-0620. You can always text at 936-6262. Brought to you by the Capital Auto Group. Friday shows are always brought to you by Nelson Holmes. They supply home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. Thanks to them for their continued support of this show. And what a show we got. We're going to hear from Corey Sheets, T-Jack, Tristan Jackson, and Chris Milo. Did you know Tristan Jackson almost wasn't a member of the 2013 Rough Riders? He got cut nah, in training camp. was working on the pipeline. They brought him back from the Alberta pipeline. And he was a pipeline in the secondary for the Riders when they smacked around a Calgary Stampeders in that uh, West Final as uh, that defense for seven takeaways. We'll hear from Farhan Lalji. He calls the biggest game of the year in the regular season. That would be uh, BC and Winnipeg tonight, along with Matt Dunnigan on the left coast. He'll join us before kickoff. Oh, he's doing play-by-play. Yeah, Andy McNamara, our betting expert with the NFL. Some fantasy tips for you. We'll hear a rewind segment with G. Roy Simon. Profiles feature with Jaden Dalkey, and uh, we'll also hear from Terrell Mays and uh, Tyrone Breckenridge, Luke Molliner too. Uh, How was it seeing all those guys last night? Yeah, it's pretty good, man. Dar- Darian wasn't there. Weston wasn't there. They're, they got in last night, so I think they'll be around. Like obviously for the rest of the weekend's festivities, which includes a signing session down there at Party in the Park mm-hmm. before the game, and uh, of course the Riders will be honored. They're the 2013 team at the game, and you got to get in your seats at 4:50 for a celebration of uh, the career of George. They had the celebration of life today at the International Trade Center. Kudos to the riders. It was well put on. And it was um, well put on online, too. I watched it online, so that was great. Uh, Busy lining up the show, so uh, I got a chance to watch it online. Had some great speakers. Scott Moe, the Premier, former Premier Brad Wall, who had a hand in bringing George Reed back to to the province in 2008-2009 as an ambassador for Casino Regina. Um, also, uh, Greg Fieger talked. Cleveland Van is old teammate. Jim Hobson, another one who is an old teammate, but also past president that along with Brad Wall and Reg Howard brought George Reed back to town. Eric Johnson, his good buddy from Smoke and Okies, where he always used to hang out and eat. They've got a booth set up there for him. Uh, like he, yeah. That's where he always sat and his memorabilia there. I chatted uh, with Eric today, live, you, on the, yeah, live on the air. He's a... Uh, 
he's uh, he's very emotional and mm-hmm. uh, rightfully so. Wayne Morski did a good job emceeing, and of course his daughter got up there, Georgette Reed, no script, no nothing. She was like a splitting image of George, just and stole the show, yeah, and, uh, as you'd expect. Great cup was there, Randy Ambrosi was there, and that's where we go with our first text. Jamie from Willow Bunch. Great ceremony today for our number 34. Just wanted to say our CFL commissioner really struck a nerve with me. Not sure how everyone feels about it. Seems like our commissioner's more worried about a missed tackle in 1989 and watching the Riders hoist the Great Cup that year. He will never wear green. It's a celebration of life for a man who did so much for the league. Leave your personal feelings aside today, Commish. Put on green and white for George. Go Riders. Well, I don't think... I mean, it wouldn't be egregious if he did it, but the commissioner's the commissioner. He's supposed to stay neutral. He was trying to make a lighthearted joke. I, I pick at the commissioner to it from time to time, but uh, uh, um, no disrespect, Jamie, in Willow Bunch, but I'm going to lay off the commission today. Um, he did get the story wrong, though. It wasn't Eddie Lowe that scooped up the fumble. It was Eddie Lowe who blew around Ambrosi and hit <laughs> and hit Ham from the backside, and Dave Albright yeah, is Randy. now... And da- Dave Albright, who is also passed on, scooped it up and ran for the touchdown. But uh, So he got the story. If you're going to do the story, Randy, get the story right. <laughs> but uh, uh, Randy had a good speech, too. They had the great cup there. Just a great ceremony. We got a phone call? Yeah, we do. Let's go to the uh, phone line on the Western Pizza Hotline. Who are we talking to? Hi, this is Gordy. Hey, Gordy, what's I, up, man? I'm very... I, I'm glad I met uh, George Creed. He's a very good. He's a very good football player. Yeah, he was a great football player. Where did you meet him? At Wascana. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was... Uh, Yeah, I I got to meet him when I was going to my support group meetings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, George was was a a great man. And, yeah, he... uh, um, Eric Johnson from Smokin' Okies told the story. Uh, George's wife, Angie, had fallen and broken her wrist. This was a couple of weeks ago. So he called... Uh, Eric had said, hey, can you give me a ride to Safeway? So uh, Eric picks him up, drives him to Safeway, uh, gets him loaded in the motorized uh, shopping cart, and George says, I'll call you when I'm done. Probably an hour. So Eric's like, okay, I can go do some errands or whatever. And uh, hour passes, hour and a half passes, two hours pass, two and a half hours pass, George finally phoned and said, yeah, give me about a half an hour. I should be done. He got stuck in the grocery store with all the fans. Think about oh, that. Holy smokes. 83-year-old dude. And uh, you know what? A lot of people are forgotten when they die. Uh, George Reed won't be forgotten. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad they put that plaque up there like you'd been calling for at the stadium there. Yeah, Eric Johnson uh, told me today on the on the airwaves. I asked Eric like, "What did George like to eat when he went yeah, to smoke it?" Yeah, he like to drink beer too and eat it. Yeah, well, I asked him like, "What did uh, George order?" And, and Eric was like, "Well, the first thing he did when he got in the restaurant was ask for a beer, the coldest one possible." Yeah, every single time the same yeah. thing. Yeah, so yeah. He, he, he said stu- he took. He said George took his smoking. They had smoking classes like how to prep and smoke brisket and all that stuff. He said, "Yet the only thing he saw George, or the only thing George smoked was a cigarette." <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's awesome, man. Him and Ronnie maybe having a... I couldn't believe that George Reed broke... He played with a broken leg for like six games. Yeah, my dad always talks about that one. 
Think about that. Yeah. He wasn't... Listen, I saw some old footage of George Reed. He was not the flashiest runner. I'm not saying he wasn't a good runner, but he ran you over. Like He, he, ran, he, he ran like... like Jim Brown. He did. Of. He did kind of run like Jim Brown. He 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 initiated contact. Initiated mm-hmm. contact. Anyway, um, uh, share your stories of George Reed. Share your stories of the 2013 team if you want. Nine three six sixty two sixty two or one eight six six seven six seven zero six twenty. As it relates to the sports of the day, the Argos taking on the Elks today. Their one hundred and fiftieth game. We'll hear from their color commentator Ben Grant. Chad Kelly gets the start at quarterback. Winnipeg at BC. We talked about that. Two eleven and four teams battling for first. Bo Bo Levi Mitchell gets the start at quarterback versus. Is your Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Isn't that just add a little more fuel to the fire? Chicago Bears have traded Canadian wide receiver Chase Claypool to the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a late 2025 pick swap, according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. That'll be his last chance to make it in the NFL. If he doesn't stick in Miami, um, Yep. Then he'll be back. He'll Last be chance CF- for romance. He'll be playing in the CFL. Um, not like that's a terrible thing, but that you don't get NFL money. He seems to be a bit of a malcontent, doesn't he? I never like to use the C word because that's for health, but he's not. It doesn't seem he's good for the locker room. Uh, this guy isn't really either, but maybe the juice is worth the squeeze. The Broncos have traded outside linebacker Randy Gregory. He's been troubled off the field. And the 2024 seventh round pick to the 49ers in exchange for for the 2024 sixth rounder for or from the Niners. Randy Gregory, already dominant pass rush, going to San Francisco. Well, the San Francisco 49ers are clearly going for the They're Super going, Bowl yeah. if they weren't already. They're going for Kinda it, Kind of like, uh, I don't, maybe not to the extent that the LA Rams did a couple years ago when, yeah. they, when they won their Super Bowl, but, yeah. I mean, when you when you start trading away draft capital for players that are like good right now, yeah. you know that they're making a run. Speaking of the uh, uh, the uh, Los Angeles Rams, almost called them the St. Louis Rams, they've moved. They should be. They should be, but anyway, the LA Rams will get back Cooper Cup at receiver. No, that's big. That's yeah. huge. So, was a Puka Nakua might uh, have a uh, you know some trouble with some touches there, but the Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup in the receiving core with Matthew Stafford. Don't look now, but if you were to give four weeks in going into Week Five, the coach of the year, Sean McVay of the Rams. Yeah, he'd be up there. He'd be really Definitely up not there. Matt LaFleur. <laughs> hey, by the way, <laughs> who's making the money in this place? So I phoned Nias today. Hey, Nias, what are you doing? Go to the Ryder game tomorrow? Actually, no, Michael. I'm, I surprised my son, Tris. It's his 30th birthday. We uh, took the whole family to Minneapolis. We got good seats. We're watching the Vikings and the Chiefs. Oh, really? And then I'm like, I, you know, oh, yeah, I got to work on holiday Monday. I think I'll, I'll have Zinger and Blaine do Tuesdays and Wednesday show. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot old Moneybags here is going to Vegas to blow a bunch of cash in the slots, and he's going to watch his Packers and the, uh, and the Raiders. The Raiders. By the way, they're bleeder seats, I'm sure, right? No, no, we got some pretty decent yeah, yeah. seats. Shock. Will shock. not be gambling, though. I can shock. tell you that much. Shock. Well, you are gambling going to a be, Packers game. Hey, I will be just eating fast food and, like, pizzas. Nothing expensive. Are you going to be mad if you waste all that money and the Packers lose? No, that's happened before. Do you get mad when your team loses, like, in person? Worse than when you, they lose on TV? No. Uh, yes, you do. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, the first time I went to a game when they, when they lost was in Cincinnati in 2013. Yeah. And I was really upset. Yeah. After that, it's, you know, 
Um, I don't get as mad anymore. Okay. Uh, when we come Maybe. back, we'll take a- I get pretty mad. You get really <laughs> mad. You might get arrested. Uh, you got to be back here Thursday because I leave for Calgary. Two important playoff game, like playoff games for the Riders. Hamilton Saturday next week in Calgary. All right. When we come back, we'll hear from Corey Sheets and take a look at the Riders' depth chart for the game tomorrow. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Do you think Cody's bathing in the tub at the, the show home? We're trying to get a hold of you, Cody. Cody, are you in the man cave in the basement mixing a drink? Got a job to do. It's not your house yet, Cody. Ballsy here uh, with Sean Kleisinger. Sometimes you got to call out your teammates when they're letting you down. Um, look at the Riders' uh, depth chart. Council is a game-time decision at right tackle. Riders are going with three Canadian starting receivers. Mitch Pickton, Kean Schaefer-Baker, and Sam Emelis. So Tevin Jones, who has kind of got a wonky hamstring all week. He is uh, relegated to the designated American, the backup. Uh, Sean Bain Jr., um, a starter. Jamal Morrow's in it, starting tailback. Frankie Hicks and out. Bertrand Houdon backs him up. On defense, there's only one starting Canadian, Sean Kleisinger, and that is Jaden Dalkey, as they have uh, relegated Micah Tights to a backup. So, Christian Albright, Micah Johnson, Anthony Lanier II, and Pete Robertson, the D-line. Middle linebackers, Larry Dean, uh, TJ Brunson, and CJ Revis, the linebacking core. I like that starting linebacking core. Backed up by Moncrief, Tights, and AJ Allen. You got Marshall, Deontay Williams is back, Dalkey in the middle, Henderson, and uh, William Poole the third. What I like is finally seeing Anthony Lanier at the defensive it's tackle. Gotta stay position. healthy. It's, the two biggest disappointments for the Riders this year in terms of paycheck to production is Anthony Lanier II and Jake Winicky has been a bust. He's been an absolute bust. I think he's a great guy. Uh, I can't tell you why he's a bust, but he's been a healthy scratch. Maybe I'll dig a little deeper here this week, but he's a healthy scratch. They've kept him off. Now, I wonder... Healthy scratch because of salary stuff? Maybe staying off because of off the books because of salary. Maybe that could be. It's pr- it's probably something along the lines of that. Got to be. But I'm not a I'm not a capologist. No. Anyway, uh, this guy is no is remembered for a good couple of years for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, Corey Sheets, well, one for sure. 2013, and we all remember his huge. You remember the fumble that he picked out of the air when Darian Duran fumbled it? It led to the first touchdown of G. Roy Simon. But his, an equally big play in that game was that that delayed handoff on a second and 19, and he ran for a first down, remember? Cuts to his left, goes up the far sideline near the Hamilton Tiger Cats bench, gets pushed out of bounds, first down, ball game over. Because at that point it was 31-16, I believe, right right around there. 31-16, yeah. yeah two-score game. Two-score game, and it was still about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Anyway, Corey Sheets, one of those back in town. Corey, welcome back to Regina. What's it like to... Be back in Saskatchewan. Man, this is a real feeling, honestly. This I've been back before, but being here with the old team, it's a it's a great feeling. I ain't seen a lot of these guys since I left for Oakland. So it's it's, it's wonderful to be back. I'm I'm happy I'm here. What's it like to, to see some of the faces as you mentioned that you hadn't seen a lot of them? Sort of back together. I mean it's things things don't change to be honest with you. I was just uh 
talking to Tyron Brackenridge about that. Like me and him argued all the time, and last night Grand Bell was talk, like, man, it, it, it doesn't change. Y'all still arguing like the same thing. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's it's great to see everybody. Man, I missed a lot of everybody. I missed everybody. To be honest with you. What was your favorite thing about that 2013 team? Honestly, the uh, the times we had in the locker room. That's what I missed the most. Is everybody was we were so close. It was a tight knit group, and and it wasn't like we had clicks. Like everybody hang on with everybody. Like I, I became real close with Chris Milo, the kicker. <laughs> it was like how how did that even happen? But <clears throat> it, we was we were so close and. After we stop playing football, that's the things that you think about. It's not the wins or the losses. It's just the times you spent with the guys in the locker room or on the bus traveling together when you cried together, fought together, all of that stuff. Ceremonially, are you going to buy up buy burgers for the offensive line with one? The last time? <laughs> they owe you a few now. Nah, after, I feel like I still owe them guys a lot more than that. I could ever repay them, to be honest with you. Just they took care of me very well that season. And... My body was able to, to heal and play it week in and week out the way I did. So I, I owe them guys a lot. The Great Cup game, what do you remember from that game for yourself? And st standing in that tunnel, and it was a, a guy, he was like, y'all can't run out there. And we all looked at him like, bro, you might, might want to move out the way. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're running out this tunnel, there ain't nothing you're going to do to stop us. So that's that's my favorite memory of that game, to be honest with you, just standing in that tunnel right before we all ran out. Because it was like, this: we're going to war, and we got a plan, and we're going to execute it. And we went out there and did it together. So that was one thing I, I really remember. Corey, whose idea was that? How did that come about? Honestly, I don't. I don't even know. I just remember Ricky Foley going around in the locker room. I think Twitter. He was talking about it on Twitter, saying that we wasn't going to do it. And then somebody in the locker room said something to Ricky. Then he started asking everybody, like, "Hey, y'all want to just run out the hell with what they talking about? If we all going to do it, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's our house. They're not about to tell us what we going to do and what we can't do. And this our house. It's, it's what we going to do. And we did it. Yeah, that's something Corey, I mean, Coach Chamberlain instilled in us. This is our home. We do what we want when we're home. So it just came out, and it, and it worked perfectly. <laughs> Corey, just when the final whistle goes and, and you guys win that game, what, what emotions do you remember of the atmosphere and everything? Um, me, personally, I was happy that Doubles finally got one and, and got it at home, too. And the way he did it was he carried the, the team throughout the playoffs. So... I was. I remember running to him and, and hey, we did it. We finally got you, man. And that was. It was. A, it was a special moment. I still think about it today, and it's just like, wow, like we really did something together. It was great. And you can't change it. Why was it so important to do it for him? There were a lot of veterans on that team. What? What was it about him in particular? Um, for me, personal, personally, it was. He was like a big brother to me. Like I'm the oldest of, the oldest brother in my family. So to have an older person to look up to, I would say, it's, it was something special for me. And <clears throat> just watching him play and getting to learn who he is and you start to care about the person and not the player. You know what I'm saying? So <clears throat> getting close to doubles and it was, it was about, like, I want to do something for him. He's, he's, he's taught me a lot about the game. Made me understand some things about myself. I want to 
I want to do something for him and make sure that he's happy. So that's why I, it was so special for me to, it, I, it brought me to him. It was just, he was like a big brother to me. What's it been like over these past 10 years with, I'm sure, Ryder fans still talking about that game, still <laughs> sending you messages, and how important it was to see them win that at home? Um, honestly, it's it's crazy. Uh, somebody asked me today, like, can you come back and play on the team? They need your help. Like, nah, I, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm a daddy now. And I, don't, I don't carry the ball unless it's carrying it to my sons. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just I, that season was just ah, it was special. From the moment the coaches put that team together and we looked around in the locker room, like, you could say like, we could do something here and there. And, possibly be great and become legends and we went out there and did it i'm just curious about uh after the game when you went on the great cup tour i know that you were up in north battleford and mm -hmm. you seemed to have the best time of anyone was a great cup that day with fans mm, yeah the, the the great cup tour that's honestly that's what really made me understand how special that game was to the province because i didn't understand it at the time but <clears throat> The stadium wasn't here, obviously, and a, a lady came up to me and was like, do you understand that there will be never be a Grey Cup played in that stadium ever again? And it had me like sit back at the table like, wait a minute, damn. So yeah, that's crazy even thinking about it. And it made, uh, when I came out the game a little bit early, I could have still play, been playing, but um, we let Hughesy run the ball. and. That that moment made me understand why it was so important for Hughesy to get those few carries at the end of the game. It was like this boy, this man, grew up watching the games in this stadium and then wanting to play playing the, the team and then wanting to win the Grey Cup and then we did it. And then he actually got carries and shoot, they was some great carries. <laughs> so when I when I went on that Grey Cup tour, it was it, it put it in perspective for me. I would say. Is it different coming to a place like this and not the old place that nowhere you exists? Mm, no, honestly, because that's like it's, it's a day of the past. It's it feels good coming to this stadium. It feels like the house that we all built. And coming to a new home is like opening the door. <laughs> it kind of feels like that. So like yeah, I miss the old stadium, running up and doing those steps. But I feel like. This, this new home for the Riders will be one that they will win great cups for many years to come. That's Corey Sheets, uh, one of the members of the 2013 championship team. When we come back, we'll break down the Jays' failed season with Ben Wagner, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. This is the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620 CKRM. 334 with your sports ticker. Now, Major League Baseball divisional round gets going tomorrow. Texas Rangers in Baltimore, Minnesota in Houston, Philadelphia in Atlanta, and the Arizona Diamondbacks in L.A. to take on the Dodgers. The first game starts tomorrow at 11 o'clock Saskatchewan time. Texas and Baltimore get the divisional series going. We're talking baseball with the latest on the Jays and the MLB. It's Around the Horn with Ben Wagner on the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. And they won't for a while because they were uh, knocked out of the uh, 
Wild card round in two straight games. Joining us is a guy who's joined us since March. That is Ben Wagner, uh, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. I um, I believe analytics are part of sports. There's no getting around it. But to me, sports nerds ruin sports almost every time. I don't know who to blame. Do I blame the manager? Do I blame sports nerds? Do I blame them both? Well, uh, you came right out with a dagger. I mean, directly into my ribs, right? Well, I'm like Ben. Ben, I, listen. I I'm in the same. Hey, I'm in the same chair as you, so I know you have to watch how you answer. I get all that. Yeah. I just I, yeah. I think I speak for Blue Jays fans, and I'm a casual fan. I'm more a Padres guy, like you know. But I was I was quite frankly I was ticked off oh. for Jose Barrios. Well, I was I was I was I felt devastated. Honestly, I spent so much time. When we got to Minneapolis on Tuesday, um, just sitting with Jose, and he was so excited. His family was there. He met up with a number of people from the front office, you know, that he got to know intimately with the Minnesota Twins, and and they were wishing him good luck. Like there is so much good nature around Jose Barrios, and he was so important to the Blue Jays after he was acquired in 2021. I mean, he was really, really good. He had an outlier of a season last year. And when you talk about comeback awards, Jose Barrios should be in the conversation because he was so good and so consistent for the Blue Jays. And I I remember being with you in March Mm -hmm. saying that the most important person, the most important pitcher in camp right now is Jose Barrios. Um, Now, of course, we didn't have a crystal ball. We didn't know what Jose was going to do. We didn't know what Yusei Kikuchi was going to do. We certainly had no idea what the season was going to look like for Alec Manoa. But Jose Barrios rallied and answered the bell and returned to as, at times, as dominant as he has ever been in his career, as reliable as that the, the, the Twins guy that had made all those 30-plus starts and been given the ball in postseason competition uh, shortly after being drafted at 21 years old, you know, was. And here he is, you know, now as a Blue Jay, turning turning it around, flipping the narrative and being so great. And to watch him, and I knew early on, the life on the fastball, that sinker had run lefty and righty. I knew it was going to be not only a good day, I went into that game thinking, wow, this is going to be a great day for the Toronto Blue Jays. I really did. Um, I had a feeling that if things got off the rails, Yusei Kikuchi would be the emergency backup. Because exactly what you heard from the postgame and the narrative around the game with left-handed batters certainly was what I was planning on if there was any sort of trouble, if there was any sort of duress. And I also think, I'll take it a step further, put this out there. I also thought that because of those left-handed batters, I thought Kikuchi might open in front of Chris Bassett if there was a game three. Mm. So push all that aside. I mean, that's, that we'll never know. We'll never know. But just talking with people on the field uh, ahead of game one and around game two, I thought, you know what, man, this could really turn that way. But I was... I was all in on the eye test. I was all in on the emergency parachute if it needed to be pulled. But right away in the first inning, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is making the biggest start of his career 
for the Blue Jays who need him desperately to show up and somebody to, to absolutely shove and shut down the Minnesota Twins. So you could piece this thing together when it becomes high leverage. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be it. And then whammo, I mean, out of nowhere, uh, we we felt the collective punch in the gut. Yeah. Uh, ben Wagner, um, so it wouldn't have mattered uh, if Barrios stays in the game or not in this sense because the Blue Jays do what they've done so many times, strand base runners or, or you know, um, get caught with some discipline issues in terms of base running. I I uh, I'm going to give Bo Bichette a pass. I think Bo Bichette is going to be right there as one of the best shortstops in baseball. I'm not sure you can build a winner around Vladdy Guerrero. I I, I think Vladdy Guerrero is closer to what he showed on second base, getting picked off when he can't go anywhere, as opposed to being an elite guy that can help lead a team. Um, I just want your thoughts on both. You don't have to agree with me, but I want your thoughts. That's how I feel. Well, two, well, two, two things about that, right? Two different plays, two different nights. Uh, I asked Bo in the clubhouse then on Wednesday morning about the read, you know, and he thought he he thought he could score. Mm-hmm. You see the ball get past uh, Jorge Polanco at third base and trickle basically into no man's land. Yeah, Bo believes in in the timing of the play. Carlos Correa was quoted in the clubhouse afterwards, and I was, I talked to Rocco Baldelli. We, we had some really good access in the postseason. I talked to Rocco Baldelli ahead of game number two. He said. Correa was kind of angling to back up that play, expecting Polanco, as I mean, it was a pretty routine chopper, right, to make the play but not giving up on the play. He said he was watching Bo's eyes, Correa, who has a great baseball IQ that from the outside, because we're not in the same division, we don't get to see him play a lot, we don't appreciate. Um, plus, he's a hell of an athlete, and we saw it on display because of the way that he finished that play. Um, but the the thing that ticked in Carlos Correa's mind, Rocco was telling us, is that he read the eyes of Bo Bichette and knew he would try it if the ball got by Polanco. So he just, with the instincts taking over, found an extra gear to sprint behind the play, let alone make a once-in-a-lifetime throw to the plate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's still got a great arm. Yeah. That was a baseball play. You, you know, I mean, it takes... Offensively, you try to put pressure on the defense. When I talk to guys about how do you change games in big situations, you force the defense to make something spectacular. The Jeter play years ago, the Correa play uh, on Tuesday night, you know, a defining moment. Blue Jays score a run. Who knows how that game turns out? Correa was an incredible athlete and changed the game and stuffed the Blue Jays rally in that situation. I, I, I liked it. Crystal Rue, who I was working with and has been a pitcher, you know, in the middle of those chaotic plays uh, on a major league field, liked it as well. Um, I, that, that's a play where somebody is trying to make something happen. And for, for three months, it seems like the Blue Jays offensively have been trying to make something happen. And it just hasn't caused, I, I don't, I honestly, I'll put a lot of fault on Bo in that play. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Vladdy play is completely opposite. You know, you have to be alert and aware. It is is a huge, huge moment in that game. Uh, One, the situation, second and third. The fact that the Blue Jays finally 
since they revamped the lineup, had that number two spot appear a couple of times, mm-hmm. and the bat wasn't in the hand of Bobichet. Now you have the number four spot with the bat in the hand of Bobichet, second and third, and you're trying to uh, come up with that big hit. And you know, you look at the replay; it looks like Vladdy just caught kind of like being a little bit of a cheerleader, you know, rooting on Bichette in that moment, kind of like a little stiff, not totally in an athletic stance, kind of clapping his hands. And sure enough, guess who Guess who hmm. <laughs> pops in the play? Carlos Correa in the heady IQ with Sonny Gray, who's about as savvy as they come to on the hill. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and A-Rod had that great clip with the, with the, he picked up the trigger, which was the rub of the cap on the bill of the cap from Sonny Gray. And then the catcher, he does it twice. If you look at the replay, Sonny Gray does it twice. One, because he got in communication with Correa, looked at his catcher, rubbed the bill of his cap again, and the catcher's the one that executed it through the pitchcom device. And that was perfectly executed in a massive moment, and we know how it turned out. Uh, that's, you know, that's something that you've got to be alert and aware of. Whether or not Luis Rivera can yell loud enough from third base to get the attention of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, in the heat of that, you've got to be alert and aware of where your defenders are. So I, uh, these 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 next rounds, you're just to wrap up. I personally yeah. like a uh, Texas-Houston um, and Philadelphia-Arizona Final Four. Oh, wow. Not over Baltimore or Texas- you're taking Texas over Baltimore, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You're all about the Lone Star State shootout here. Okay. Yeah. Um, I The wild card for me is going to be Baltimore and Texas. If the I mean, we have seen the Rangers offense recently perform at an elite level and really wake up. They pitched better in that in that wild card that I thought they would. And, and we just saw the Rays in such a short sample size, six games in nine days. And it looked like the Blue Jays were on a collision course. And you you saw how exposed the Rays become when they don't have the right pieces and can't place the right pieces in how they love to do things, right? Texas goes in there and blitzes them. I'm going to go against you in the Texas and Baltimore round. I, I, okay. I am. I really like Baltimore. Uh, they've rested a little bit. I don't think they're going to be rusty at all. But, man, oh, man, there is such an X factor here. <laughs> when you talk about intangibles, mm. Camden Yards and the belief of a young core that has played under pressure and succeeded. They only know how to do things properly, and they only know how to win right now. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's going to be the defining makeup, but I really think that that offense is going to be something Texas and Texas bullpen is going to have problems with because I really like the Baltimore bullpen better than the Texas bullpen by easy, easy returns. All right. Um, <clears throat> so I'm with you. You picked, remind me again. Philly and Arizona. Philly and Arizona. Philly and Arizona. I'm going Phils all the way. Yeah. I'm going Phils. Yeah, I think yeah, the I, I think I mean, offensively, I think they're really balanced. Yeah, I think they'll be in the World Series. I really do. I think they'll yeah, be in I the World. Se- I think it'll be a maybe it'll be a Phillies Orioles. Who knows? Hey, we got to roll, but we'll check in with you, uh, you throughout the playoffs. Okay. Looking forward to it, Michael. Thanks, Great Ben. To yeah, nice to hear nice from you, too. Ben Wagner, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Some tough questions to ask a play-by-play guy. I know how it is, but he answered them well. This is the Sports Cage for Nelson Holmes on 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Okay, man, so let's talk some football. Ballsy. 
Kleisinger here. You can get a hold of us, 936-6262, number to call locally, one 866 or you can text 306-936-6262. Are, are you as... Are you as interested as I as what's Cody doing in the basement there? The old uh, show home there? First he wasn't around and now he's fumbling his words. He's, he's talking about being in the basement all alone. Cody, Cody, Cody. <laughs> anyway, Zinger, come on now. Compose yourself. Um, football, Rams and Thunder are off, right? Yes. They have the Thanksgiving Turkey Day weekend. Uh Winston Knoll and O'Neill maybe played the worst game in the history of football. It ended 2-0. I saw that. I... O'Neill was into the wind early in the game. They took an E, and then no other points were scored the entire game. Crazy, man. I hey. get that email every night. Yeah, me and too. And I check out the scores. Yeah. Yeah. I always look forward to looking yeah. at the high school scores. Yep. 2 nothing. Yeah. I should have texted my friend, Jens Johnson. He help, he helps uh, Coach O'Neill. I'm going to text him right now. What's going on, Lee? Yeah. Like, yeah. He gets shut out 2 nothing. My uh, nephew is the uh, quarterback. Well, tell him to start playing some better football. Yeah, come on, man. Play some better football. You don't even, like, did you even get a first down? No, he did complete some passes, but uh, he'd throw the ball and the wind would blow it like way over. Oh, yeah, that was bad weather. It was was gross. as typical October weather. So, Zinger, let's talk about the Canadian Football League. I know another show does that just to drag time out. The Canadian (laughs) Football League. Lee. We got 15 seconds left on the clock. Well, let's talk some CFL football. Okay, so let's talk about it. Tonight, 150th uh, anniversary of the Argos. They got their game tonight against the Edmonton Elks. Thanks to the Argos for allowing the commissioner to come here. He was supposed to be there to celebrate, but they thought it was more important for him to come here for the George Reed celebration of life. Zinger, mm-hmm. um when you think Argos football, for me, early on, it was Conrad Holloway, it was Terry Greer, it was Paul Pierce, and then it was Gil the Thrill, Fennerty, Mike Pinball, Clemens, Rocket Ishmael, then later on, our friend um, Doug Flutie, Paul Masotti. For you, what do you think of when you think of Argos football? Oh, and a sold-out dumpy CNE Stadium for me back in the day. Uh, first thing I think of when I think of the Toronto Argonauts is the nice jerseys that they wore back in the 90s with the big Argonaut with the shield on the shoulders. Mm. Ooh, those were nice. You and like I, that, eh? And I like, uh, I like, or I think of uh, Doug Flutie because he was their quarterback in 1996 and 1997 back-to-back Grey Cup wins. Yeah. And that was like the two years I started watching yeah. CFL yeah. football. So it has to just be Doug Flutie. Then after that, Daryl Mookie Mitchell, and Old then Mookie. and then uh, Damon Allen. I mean, yeah, Damon the two thousand four Grey Cup yeah. against Jason Claremont when at he won Frank the outstanding Stadium, Canadium. Yeah. yeah, tragically hit played at halftime mm-hmm. that night. The other one that sticks out for me in Argo uh, Land was when Kerwin Bell scored a touchdown, spiked the ball, and no, hit him right in the nads. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a always all the replay shows. Um, so I got the Argos today. That'll be and the Riders can officially eliminate Edmonton and. Um, and Ottawa with a win tomorrow. So I got the Argos winning. How about this Western heavyweight? Oh, sorry, you want to say something? No, I was going to say the other thing I think about when I think of the Argos is uh, it was a game in the year 2000 where uh, the Riders played the Argonauts at Taylor Field, and uh, it was either before the game or at halftime they honored uh, Don Narcisse. Oh, yeah. Because I remember he was on the cover of the game day program, and I was uh, at that game sitting in the family fun zone. Nice. Yeah, eight years old. Okay, so uh, quickly before we get to our NFL juicy uh, games, um, I got who do you got tonight? The West, the West 
the matchup for top spot in the West. BC. I think BC is going to win. Me too, because yeah. Demario Houston's out, and I like the matchup of the BC receivers versus the Winnipeg defensive backs as opposed to vice versa. Yeah, it's going to be a nice crowd at BC Place Stadium too. I just feel like along with the energy, you know, Winnipeg barely beat Cameron Dukes yes or uh, last week. Yeah, I, I I feel like this is BC's game, and I I feel like Winnipeg is a little too high on their on themselves on right the hog. now. Okay, there's three real juicy games. Four I want to concentrate on um, in the NFL quickly. 49ers, Cowboys. Who do you got in that Sunday night affair? Um, I think the 49ers. I think it's going to be a close game, but it's hard not to pick against San 27, Francisco. 27-23. I just hope 49ers. it's a good game because yeah. I will be watching. And then uh, the Chiefs and the Vikings. It's a late afternoon game. Like it's a 225 start in the 4 o'clock window. I'm going with the Vikings. I think the Vikings are going to win. I have to get one thing straight first before I make a prediction. Is is Perry Nias family are they Viking fans or is this, you know, just, you know, a, a close NFL? No, they're Viking fans. Well, no, Nias isn't. Mason isn't. Mason is a 49ers fan. The rest of them are Vikings fans. Perry is a Viking. Pairing, well, he's a Viking. He's got Scandinavian background. I'm just learning this now. Now you don't like him as much. Now he's not untouchable. He's not the godfather of radio. So who do you got in that game? Uh, Kansas City's going to win. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're you would never pick, pick the Vikings. Yeah. You're going to pick... No, yeah. no. Okay, What's how about next? this one? Steelers-Ravens. It's in oh. it's in Pittsburgh, Ravens. I got the Ravens winning that yeah, one. Yeah, the Ravens. I don't think Pittsburgh is very good. It's going to be an old-fashioned, you know, the mm. boring AFC North yeah. type of game. And, field uh, goals, field goals. How about your your game, Packers and the Raiders? Well, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's still on the injury report. Yeah. He's going through concussion protocol, yeah. but he did practice. So I think Jimmy's going to be playing this week. Mm, 49ers that have a better chance with actress Jenny Garofalo. <laughs> but <laughs> can I make a score prediction? Sure, go ahead. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are going to win and make me and my daddy very happy because we're going to be sitting in the end zone at Allegiant Stadium. What's the score going to be? You didn't make a prediction. You didn't say a score prediction. Uh, 26 to 23. Ooh, field goal in your end of the field? Anders Carlson is going to kick a game winner. Our end of the field. Nice. I hope so. And then I'm gonna run on the field. No, I shouldn't do that. Get arrested. And, yeah, I won't. I won't be back for Thursday show. You better be, because I'm gone. All right. When we come back, T. Jack, Chris Milo, and we'll also hear from Ben Grant, the color commentator in the Argos radio broadcast. This is the Sports Cage on a Friday for Nelson Holmes on 6:20 CKRM. 6:20 CKRM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host Michael Ball. Second hour of the show upon us, brought to you by Nelson Home, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. Our text lines 936-6262. Marie has a text. I've got two stories. My husband and I went to Dollarama, and George Reed walked up, uh, and we said hello, talked to him for a few minutes, and continued on. Next, we stopped in a Walmart again, walked up. There's George. He turns around and says, are you stalking me? The other one, my parents went to, to a trio of country musicians in 1966, and my dad is yakking away, and my mom says, shut up. Georgie, George and Ronnie are behind us talking about the up- upcoming playoff game against Winnipeg saying the Bombers' defense sucks. So, that's hilarious. couple of young guys, couple of young stars of the game. George Reed was the first star of the CFL. He was really the first 
major star. Ronnie was a star, but George was the guy. Hey, I'm not going to argue that. Man, I love George Reed. What a, and just off the field, and he's been, uh, I've interviewed him a number of times in person. It is always like yeah. the Pope was coming to see it. You were disappointed because we were going to have George oh. here with, with Jim Hobson, and George couldn't make it, and we uh, we had a great chat with Jim Hobson, but you were looking forward yeah. to it. It was good to see Cleveland Van today as Loved well. Love Cleveland Van, too. I remember in grade four, Cleveland Van came to my elementary school, St. Mm-hmm. Josephette. Mm-hmm. I can't remember why. I think he just came to, like, like, talk, mm-hmm. and I remember I got his autograph, and I brought it home, and I showed my dad, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I watched him play when I was a kid." And Love Cleveland. Still had that autograph. Yeah, he Le- just reminds you of like, when you look at him. He just reminds you of like an old classic football player, you know, linebacker. Yeah, just he, a grinder. Uh, he listens to the show quite regularly. Love he him. he told the uh, story today of how he was thinking of coming back to Saskatchewan to Regina with his wife, and he phoned George, and George encouraged him to come back. So he's been here ever since since 1989. He's down. In Texas, and thought, ah, okay, I, he was a state trooper, I think he said, and he decided to come back here. So uh, we're happy that George brought Cleveland here, and we're happy that George Reed loved being number seventy-two, part right? of Saskatchewan. That's right, he was wearing his number seventy-two uniform up top as he was uh, on the stage today. As he was one of the speakers. Also being honored is the nineteen or check that two thousand and thirteen Rough Rider Grey Cup Championship team, the tenth anniversary celebration, and uh, we got a chance to catch up with um hold on here uh T Jack Tristan Jackson Chris Milo you know this uh this city was so good to us uh, to me my family and and uh to all of us I guess all the members of the team and uh it's just nice to see everybody again you know I think uh, you'll be hearing that a lot the next few days but it's just you know to be able to relive all these things that we lived and it just seems like we saw each other yesterday, to be quite honest. Um, nothing nothing has changed. You know, we got more gray hairs than we did before, <laughs> but everything else is pretty much the same. So it's great to be back, for sure. Oh, it's, it feels great to be back. You see the guys, just like we seen them yesterday, right? You just just a hug, man, just hugging the guys. It just feels amazing to be back. You see guys you haven't seen in 10 years, and it was a special moment, a special season. Probably one of the best teams I've ever been on. Yeah. You guys look down at those rings on your finger, especially being back here now, ten years later. What are some of the things that come up? Oh, a lot, a lot. Um, I got released it, you know, before um, the season started, right? So when they gave me that phone call, BT called me, and I was working at the time. Um, he called, and he left a message. And when I called him back, I, I was excited. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get it. I couldn't call him back fast enough. And he, I called him back, and he was like. Um, we have a scenario here. I said, BT, whatever scenario you got, if you bring me back, I want to be there because this is a great team. I was I was so disappointed of being released because I knew these guys were going to be pretty good that year for the exit. All the guys they brought in at the time. So um, I just want to get back on the team. I know if I get out here, I can show I can get on the field somehow, some way. So that's one of the things I remember about that season for sure. Chris, you scored some of the points in that fourth quarter when Darian took over. What was that fourth quarter like to your recollection? Um, honestly, throughout the game, I kind of had a feeling that it was going to come down to that, just just by the way the, the game was going, and and I, st- I think I started off hitting a post, which was the story of my 2013 season, um, and I knew it was going to be a good day after I hit that post. So it was it was it it, it worked out well, but um, it was really cold. I think it was like minus 40 or th- or something that, so it was like kicking cement, and I had to hit a what I think a 45 yarder with. Uh, Late in the fourth, I think it was, and 
if it wasn't for Darian's legs, I don't think we would have had that chance. And I don't, I've never seen him run that fast. Ever. I know, I know. Um, but it was, uh, it was nice to see and just to be able to put that one through. And again, just kind of reiterating what Corey said earlier and, and what Brack said earlier, you know, just to, we put in so much work. We didn't, it, there was no way someone's going to come into our house and beat us and, and not on that day, especially. And we knew we had to get our job done and, you know, we focused in and, Honestly, I just wanted to hit a good ball on that on that on that long one, and I did, and went through, and then I sealed the deal after that with another long run with Darian, and then it was a short one. And Ricky Foley actually came to see me. Um, it was at halftime, I think. Well, he goes, "It's going to come down to you," and I said, "I got you, man. We're, I'm ready to go, ready to go," and it turned out well. Why was the 2013 2013 team such a close knit group? You know what? That's it, it's it's a hard question to answer. Um, it just we just came together and I think it was even in Florida we had Florida I think in in April or I think it was we had like a mini camp in Florida it started from there and then when training camp came around you know like uh like Mays was just saying like we had the the number of days to Grey Cup we had it, just everything it was like a a huge brainwashing if you will we all bought in no one complained no one you know there was no bickering everyone had their role they did it to their to their specific um, you know what they had to do and you know that was it each doing their part we had, there was no clicks through everyone was hanging out with everybody um it was and you know even last night when we were all together it was just it was the same like not like we like we were together the day before you know so it's um and i think brack mentioned this whereas you have to go through it to really explain what we're feeling inside um but it's something that I haven't felt since, you know. So it's uh, it was such a special group, and to be able to have these on for the rest of our lives and our names etched on the on the cup forever, that's you know that's the ultimate goal and that's the the best part of it. What do you guys remember from the crowd that day during the game and after? Crazy, crazy. I, I remember going out because we was one of the first ones to go out um, for special teams. Yeah. I went out there. I couldn't believe how many people was there. At, Warm up, and yeah. I was just like, man, it's crazy. And I go back inside, and I always talk to Maze. I'm like, man, it's it's loud out there, but like, I don't even think these guys got a chance today. No, it was it was it was amazing, amazing. No, it was, and I think for me was was after the game, to be honest. Whereas we had what 43,000, 45,000 people there. Like nobody left their seats. Everyone was there, just waiting for us to come back out to to celebrate again. And okay, made it, okay. I think Picard grabbed the golf cart at some point. So he, so it was just you know, it was it was amazing. It was really really one of the nights that we'll never forget. Did you guys meet Tom Hanks? No, no, but that would have been cool though. Yeah, that that would have been cool. Yeah, 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 that was cool. How cool was like Tom Hanks watched you guys win a great cup? That's pretty yeah. cool. Sure, Just to be in the same building yeah, was kind of sure, was yeah. kind of cool, you know. So no, it was good. It was good. Whether it was right after the game, a few years down the road, but at what moment did it kind of sink in about how special that game meant to the province that you played in and this organization? I, I think going through the process. Um, I think after we won, we beat Calgary there. We already knew that how the province feel about the, the riders. We knew um, the last time they had won was 2007. They only had three great cups, so we knew if we if if we can if we can get a win here, it, it was going to be more than special for not just only us but the province as well. We talked earlier about the Calgary game. You referenced it. What are your thoughts, recollections about beating them? <coughs> Comes to mind. Well, the, the Calgary game, I remember um, 
walk through the day before. It was a blizzard. It was. And we was complaining because we didn't want to go outside. We didn't want to go um, walk through outside. And James was like, no, we're going to have to play in this. So y'all going to have to come outside. And I remember Calgary coaches letting them guys walk through inside or yeah, something, right? That's right. In their stadium or something. Yeah. So the next day, it was all bundled up, freezing. We was cool. just ready to go. And we 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 knew they didn't have a chance. Like we knew them guys, they was all bundled. We just had played BC. It was like what 21, 22 below. They kick off. No, it was cold, man. It was cold that was day. Cold. So I think that that kickoff it was like minus 15. So it was a lot warmer. Man. So we was ready to go in. We got the rolling defense, got going, and it was man. a cakewalk. Well, I don't like to say a cakewalk, but a cakewalk. <laughs> <laughs> they blocked the field goal. The ball went in the end zone. So I'm like, hey, I'm gonna score. Oh. And then Mayo just destroyed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah, good good memory, I guess. Uh, they, had, they had a lot of big plays on us, though. But every big play they had, we capitalized. Like, they yeah. caught a, a big deep ball against yeah, me. And then we stretched it up them, yes. Yep. And um, yep. they broke a quick slant. I can remember every play, so we can sit here all day if y'all want to. <laughs> um, and they caught a quick slant, and um, one of their receivers just broke for about 60 yards, and we ended up scraping him, and Will picked it up and took it back, and yes. And every time we get the ball back, we scored. Yep. I think we was mad at um, – uh, what's the, who was it? Um, McHenry. He yeah, scored. He fell yes, on the one. Yes, that's right. Going into uh, right for halftime. There would have been like thirty something three at halftime. So yeah. we we picked at him a lot about that. So time now for the Cage Clutch Performer on six twenty CKRM. Reed regarded as the outstanding fullback in the Canadian Football League. No wonder. He had a 5.3-yard rushing average during the regular season. Reed's 1,409 yards, a major portion of the Saskatchewan total of 2,638 yards on the ground. A score, field position, and time remaining dictate that Saskatchewan stay on the ground. With backs like Buchanan and Reed, the Riders have the man for the job. And the supporter. The Saskatchewan offensive team has the momentum, and Ottawa must try to stop their main threat, George Reed. He crashes through Gaines and Collins, but Conroy prevents a breakaway. The advance is 10 yards. Now, uh, some old classic highlights from the 1966 Grey Cup. Today... Our sports cage clutch performer goes to George Reed on a day in which we honor the life of the legend himself that happened this afternoon at Everest Place. George Reed, not only today, but every day from now on out, sports cage clutch performer for Nick Service in Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator Gleaner, and Fan Dealer. Give them a call at 781-1077. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. So I lost a hockey bet with this Tiger Cat fan. I said the Oilers would go to the Stanley Cup and they lost. I said they'd beat Vegas and they didn't. So I agreed to do this chance. So here we go. It's on Twitter. The real ballsy if you want to see it. Sean videotaped it for me. Here we go. Okay, so here's the deal. I lost to Corey a hockey bet. He's a Hamilton Tiger Cat fan. I have no idea what this chant is all about. The liquored up Tiger Cat fans just love doing it. And it's synonymous with the team and the city. So here we go on, on the eve of our big game against the Tiger Cats. Don't blame me that we're going to kick your butt, but here's your chant. Ready? <clears throat> 
Oski Wee Wee, Oski Wawa, Holy Mackinac, Tigers, Eat em. Except for Saturday. <laughs> You've seen them on the field. Now we dig deep to bring you a closer look at a player you'll never find on the stat sheet. This is Profiles on the Sports Cage. Your, your favorite things, Jaden, first off? Favorite number? If I could go back, I would be number two again. Any re particular reason? Just feel good in it. That's it. Right. Just felt good in it. Yeah. Favorite football memory growing up? Uh, my first pick six. I was in Bantam and I was playing corner and I jumped it and I looked hella slow on the tape because I was a little guy, but I had a wall of guys behind me and it's uh, somewhere on YouTube. So, yeah, <laughs> that's one of my favorite ones growing up. Favorite coach? Could be any sport, but and you can use them multiple answers too. Uh, throwback to yeah, uh, Coach Obenauer at uh, Cats was a uh, was one of the first ones that got me uh, thinking about football as like, uh, as more than just like line up here and do this because I say so. It was. Uh, him and I were able to talk football at a higher level for the first time, so I'd say Obi. Okay. Favorite player growing up? Ray Lewis, second to Ed Reed, and then Ronnie Lott. Nice. Good, good selection. Mm -hmm. Favorite sport other than football? Oh, right now it's golf, honestly, <laughs> but uh, before that it was uh, it was wrestling. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie? Pineapple Express. Nice. Favorite TV show. Favorite TV show. I like uh, Peaky Blinders, Animal Kingdom. Oh, those are those ones are pretty close to tied. Favorite actor. James Franco. Oh, nice. Uh, oh, favorite actress. Um, favorite actress. Emma Stone. Okay, yeah. Favorite cartoon character? I'm just saying, bro. Hmm. And it could be like, you uh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. any form of cartoon. Okay. Um, I think I'd have to go with uh, with Stewie. Okay. Yeah, kind of good. Favorite superhero? Oh, I'm a, I'm a Hulk guy. Nice. Favorite food? What are you looking at? You, huh? Huh? Yeah, I know your favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite food? Chicken quasadilla. Favorite junk food? Oh, uh, dill pickle chips. <laughs> favorite thing to throw in a barbecue? Probably a 12 ounce steak. <laughs> we want to see if you like. You want some of this? <laughs> favorite band or musician? Mm. I just got on to Spacey Jane, so that's a new one. That's a that's a new one of the top ones. So. Okay. Favorite song? Girls, Bohemian Rhapsody. Girls, girls, Bohemian Rhapsody. Nice. Yeah. Okay. You got a favorite like pregame song? You know, to kind of pump you up. Yeah, that's the one that starts it. Is Bohemian Rhapsody. That's the one that starts it, and then it goes into a couple of uh, others. But yeah, that's a that's a kick. Like Headbang like Wayne's World, eh? Yeah. yeah. Favorite place? Uh, favorite CFL city to visit? Uh, so far, it's been Vancouver, but obviously I like going home, Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah. How about worldwide, like anywhere in the world, favorite place to visit? 
Uh, I've been to New York twice, and so far that's been the coolest city I've been to. So, uh, yeah, I'd say New York. Favorite scent, like in terms of favorite smell? Peppermint, mint oil. Yeah. I like you, man. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> favorite season? You like the coal reef? <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously it's uh it's summertime, but and uh, but that's also just in season now. So yeah, summertime. How about favorite time of day? Morning, afternoon, or night? I'm a night owl, so I'd say uh, evening into night. Yeah, favorite time. Favorite hobby? Got a favorite hobby? I'm a amateur golfer at this point, so favorite hobby would be <laughs> golf. Yeah. Um, you got a favorite play, a favorite quote that you like to draw back on? Uh, for football? Any uh, kind, like any. Yeah, yeah. Football or life? Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, one of my old coaches at U of A told me this and it stuck with me. It's, uh, it's us versus them and uh, them. And your favorite thing about being a rough rider? Being with all my boys and uh, having great fans and support, but mostly just being able to be on a professional team and ball out. That's Jane Dalkey. I will say, good thing I listened to that in its entirety, and I've turned into a real good editor. You know why? Because my mortgage depends on it. So does Sean Kleisinger's. Oh, wait, not his mortgage, his big trips to NFL games. Uh, when we come back in the other side, this guy covers hockey. Covers NFL football. He's a sideline reporter in the CFL, and he gets to call a second game of the year. Farhan Lalji joins us. It's the big game too. Him and Matt Dunnigan get the huge game. It's the weekend uh, weekend game of the week, except for uh, obviously our game. It's Winnipeg and it's BC. It's later tonight. He joins us next from the broadcast booth in British Columbia here on the Sports Cage on six twenty CKRM. We have John Halverson from the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Foundation joining us to talk about the Rough Rider and Children's Hospital Foundation's lottery. John, I hear there's an important deadline tonight. That's right. The deadline for the Hello Lake Life Early Bird Prize is midnight tonight. One lucky winner will be heading to the lake with a brand new Jeep Gladiator and Access Wake Boat or taking home $235,000 cash. They will also be entered to win over a thousand other incredible prizes, including their best chance to win $1 million. Wow, that's an amazing prize, all while supporting a great cause. That's right. Proceeds support education, health, and mental wellness programs through the Saskatchewan Rough Rider Foundation, as well as specialized pediatric care, life-saving equipment, and research at the Jim Patterson Children's Hospital. Where's the best place to get tickets, John? Tickets can be purchased by visiting our website, riderschildrenslottery.ca. Thanks, John. That's the early bird deadline, midnight tonight. Get your tickets today at riderschildrenslottery.ca. Well, we have a lot of football to look forward to this weekend, Canadian Football League, National Football League, but we have a very big weekend coming up here in the major leagues of baseball. How about the Texas Rangers taking on the Baltimore Orioles tomorrow, Minnesota in Houston, Philadelphia in Atlanta, and the Arizona Diamondbacks on the West Coast take on the L.A. Dodgers tomorrow. The Sports Cage is your voice for football, not only in the province, but around Canada. This is the Sports Cage CFL Report, a look at what's happening in our three-down game. 
Just ahead of Farhan Lalji, let's take a look at the Riders' depth chart. They start one Canadian on defense. That's Jaden Dalkey in the middle at free safety. Deontay Williams, the former Nebraska Cornhuskers, back at the boundary halfback spot. Amari Henderson also playing halfback. Uh, the corners are Nick Marshall and the former Georgia Bulldog National Championship winner from a couple of championships ago, uh, William Poole the third. The uh, defensive line and our friend... Uh, Don Hewitt will be happy about this. Anthony Lanier II, where he got an all-star last year, is back at defensive tackle, along with Micah Johnson. Pete Robertson and Christian Albright are the ends. As far as the Riders' offense goes, they're going to start three Canadian receivers. Mitch Picton, Kean Schaefer-Baker, and Sam Emelis. That means Tevin Jones is relegated to backup to start the game. He's that fancy designated American along with Mario Alford. Sean Bain Jr. obviously gets the start along with Jareth Stearns. And Jamal Morrow is the starting tailback instead of Frankie Hickson, backed up by Bertrand Houdon. And a game-time decision here. Brandon Council at right tackle is a GTD. That'll be interesting because if he can't go, do they bump... Furland out to tackle, which he's done before, although he's done it on the left side. Or do they bring Jordan Tucker in, who was practicing earlier at the week uh, at the left tackle spot? It'll be interesting to see. But uh, that's your uh, Rough Rider uh, depth chart. Now, the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cat depth chart is not available on their website in typical CFL fashion. They do have it on Twitter, but it'd be nice just to go to your website. But uh, I'm bitching as a broadcaster. Anyway, that's your CFL report. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, uh, welcome back to the sports cage. And uh, we're joined now on the Western Pizza Hotline by Farhan Lalji's a Swiss Army knife over there. Today's call in the game. I think it's his second second one of the season, Farhan, in the booth. Yeah, second one. Uh, I did the Ottawa game, which was certainly a thrilling finish. Now I get the game of the year, and then I get the Calgary game. BC Calgary in Vancouver to finish out the season. So, uh, would love to do more, but grateful for the uh, the chance to call tonight's game. Well, sure. if you're if it's not uh, sometimes it's not quantity, it's quality, and you got a you got a, a memorable game that first one, like you said, when Bob Dice screwed up, and then you've got and and then you've got this one, which is the heavyweight tilt. Tell you what, man, this game is very interesting for this reason alone. Vernon Adams has never been in a position like this where he can he has a team on the verge of taking the driver's seat for first place where he's in control. So he's got that and if he wins this game and has a pretty good game, I almost think that puts him in the driver's seat for the MOP as well. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, you know, I know a lot of people believe that it, it should be Chad Kelly's and you know, I don't think it's that simple. Uh, and for me, I think this is going to swing a lot of votes, right? I mean, uh, Vernon played in the first game, uh, got the win, didn't play in the second game when Winnipeg really put it to BC. And so now he's got a chance. And like you said, I mean, if he can get another 300-yard passing game here and they win this game, uh, I don't know how you can't look at his body of work because when you look at the resume between Vernon Adams and Zach Caleros this season, they're, they're so close in so many of the metrics. Even the touchdown-to-interception ratio, right? I mean, people look at Vernon and – He's had the 16, and he certainly had the, the, the tough one against, um, against Toronto earlier in the season. But, you know, Zach Caleros has 14. And Zach Caleros has more multi-interception games this year than Vernon Adams does, 4-3. to three. So if you look at all of it, you know, they're similar deep ball passing numbers. They're similar, you know, these offenses are 1-2 and two in the league right now. So 
I think it's uh, I, this is going to be that game. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stories within the story, games within the game, and it's not just about first place, but obviously that's the big carrot that everybody's focused on right now is trying to get home field advantage in the playoffs with a win tonight. You know, you're not guaranteed, but it's certainly a big step if you can win tonight. Farhan, you're, uh, you love the history of the game, so let's talk about George Reed and your thoughts on his passing. They had a nice celebration of life for him. I think he's the greatest rider of all time and may have been the first real superstar player in the CFL. Yeah, he's just a classy guy, you know, and I, I certainly never had a chance to watch him play back in those days, but did get a chance to get to know him and visit with him at various times uh, during big CFL events. And, you know, the one thing with George Reed, Ballsy, is that when other greats come around George Reed, they're all in awe, right? Like whether it's a, a Warren Moon or a Doug Flutie or, you know, a Pinball Clemens. I mean, Pinball loves everybody. But, you know, <laughs> when the game's greats, when they get a chance to be in George Reed's presence, they show him deference. They show him respect. And I think that speaks a lot for the man that he was and, you know, just the fact that he spent the amount of time that he did in Saskatchewan after his career uh, ended and just one of the one of the true statesmen of the game. You know, if you look at a Mount Rushmore for the Canadian Football League, it would be hard not to put George Reed on it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Hey, we're also, it, it, it's kind of ironic we're, uh, celebrating George Reed on Thanksgiving weekend because we're thankful he uh, elected to make Saskatchewan his home. We're also celebrating the Saskatchewan Rough Riders last championship 2013 as a guy who's based in Vancouver. That was their toughest game of that playoff run, that BC game where Darian Durant took the team on his back. In fact, I, I don't know, I can't remember a better perform, a better three-game performance from a quarterback in CFL playoff history. He was outstanding. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And that's the one thing that stands out. And I was on the sidelines for that game uh, and for the Western Final uh, and the Grey Cup for that matter, right? And, mm-hmm. and I just remember that game. Like, he really took it over. And, you know, he'd been kind of maligned at various points during the season, right? And he went through a lot. And there was that whole thing with, with him on Twitter firing back at a fan as a bit mm-hmm. of a rallying cry for the team. But in the second quarter of that game against BC and then again in the second quarter of the Western Final, he really took the games over, right? And he just played the game at such a high level and um, delivered when it mattered the most. And that's what, what always endears him to the fans there now, right? Is just his performance during that three-game stretch. Obviously, I remember G. Roy Simon, uh, you know, who goes from B.C. to Saskatchewan and, you know, was injured and banged up along the way. But then all of a sudden, he put a pretty good performance together in the playoffs as well. But uh, that game, you're right. I mean, it was incredibly close. They got stronger and stronger after that game. And Durant's performance in that one catapulting into the next three was the big takeaway. And the other one for me, truthfully, is just how cold it was during that <laughs> week. And look, I admit it. I'm soft. I'm from the West Coast. But I remember during the week, there was talk that that game might have to get, the Grey Cup might have to get moved, like time-wise or potentially even day-wise, because it was so cold that week and what it could potentially do to, you know, equipment on the sidelines, broadcast equipment, all of it. Like, there were some concerns. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the weather got a little bit more palatable on game day. But during the week at Old Mosaic, my goodness, was it cold. But uh, eventually, we got to play the game and a pretty good celebration in Regina. I'm going to have some veggies, get myself a little tea, going to fill out my depth chart and watch your broadcast tonight. Have a good call. Can't wait for that heavyweight tilt. Thanks, pal. Enjoy the game tomorrow. And, and Bo Levi Mitchell back on the field against Saskatchewan, a team he was so close to playing for. Yeah, juicy, juicy, juicy. Thanks for your time, Farhan. I appreciate it. 
Take care. Take care. That's Farhan Lalji joining us. When we come back, the Toronto Argonauts about to take to the field for their 150th anniversary game versus the Elks. We'll have their color commentator on the line from Toronto, from BMO. It is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Right, I've listened, of course, to every broadcaster in the CFL. And this guy does a great job as the color commentator on the Argos Radio Network. It is Ben Grant joining us here. Ben, big game tonight. The Toronto Argonauts and the Hamilton, or, uh, let me do it again. The Toronto Argonauts and the Edmonton Elks, and it's the 150th anniversary games. That's kind of cool. It's really cool. I wish there were more on the line in terms of the actual game, but in, in terms of a celebration, you couldn't ask for anything more. You've got dozens of former Argonauts that are going to be there. It's just going to be a fantastic spectacle tonight, so I'm really looking forward to it. What's your favorite Argo memory of all time? Can you pin one down or pin a couple down? Memories are tough, especially from my early childhood. There are little moments, and what I remember most is Conrad Holloway. and oh, yeah. He was the guy that really got me into football as a kid. You know, I'm just a young kid, and I, you know, going back that far, we're talking... We're talking decades ago, so it's not like I remember entire game scripts or anything like that. But Conrich Holloway just captivated me. He had my attention from the first moment I saw him play. And he's the guy that really got me into football, got me excited about the Argonauts, but about football in general, and had me sort of, you know, interested in playing and interested in, in you know, getting to know the sport. So I, I think anytime I'm asked a question like that, I have to give him the credit for that and all the memories that he created for me as a kid. The old jump pass, the old, uh, uh, you know, yeah. rolling out jump pass. You had Terry Greer and Paul Pearson. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, and Bob Obilovich. I really paid attention to Argonauts football. I long for those days out there, actually, when the, when the C&E was packed out there. Yeah, it was just different, right? And it's funny, the, the way that we remember old Exhibition Stadium, we remember with such fondness. Of course, it was a terrible stadium, but... Yes. <laughs> You know, we were, you know, that's just not how you look at it when you're a kid. For me, it was this, this magical place where I got to see my heroes. So it's, uh, yeah, it's funny. You bring, you bring back a lot of memories talking about the old CNE. Oh, yeah, man. I'm a longtime fan. Love this league like yourself. So, uh, you can follow Ben at Ben underscore Grant. And, uh, you, you, I love your last uh, tweet about 18 minutes ago as we talk. Um, the argument for Chad Kelly is MOP. He's 12 and one. But his stats, he blew everyone out in the first half and clinched the division in mid-September. But the team is really strong. It's true, man. It seems like people are trying to find a way that this guy can't be in the lead for the MOP. He shouldn't be uh, penalized for playing well and his team doing well. I know. Like, what, what, you want him to have closer games, so don't put up so many points in the first half so that your passing numbers are 400 yards a game or, you know, maybe uh, don't win so many games so you still have to play in October and, and down the stretch. It's He's done everything that's been asked of him. And the one loss that he has even has an asterisk next to it because it was a tie game when he left the game due to injury. Yeah. And the Argos went on to lose it. So, you know, he's he's done everything. He's done nothing but win. And if that's not an MOP, I don't know. I don't know what it is. If if not him, then who would it be? Like, would it be Vernon Adams? Would it be Oliveira? Would it be Kalaros? If not him, I think it is him. But let's just do the uh, devil's advocate here. 
Yeah, if it's not, I think you're looking at one of those two guys. I think Vernon Adams has a really good case, uh, and Declaros too. The Oliveira one is really interesting. I wonder, though, with running backs, it's so tough because I think behind that Winnipeg offensive line, you know, I think there's a lot of backs that would have put up really great numbers. Now, would they have been as good as Oliveira's? I don't know. It's hard to say. But I do think if you put other quarterbacks behind the lines of BC, Winnipeg, Toronto, you're not necessarily going to have the same production. So for me, I, I know it's, I know we hate having quarterbacks every year win this award. I would like some variety, but I'm just not sure I feel comfortable including Oliver in that conversation. As amazing a season as he's had, I just wonder how, what percentage of it is the credit to the offensive line. Funny, Ben Grant, the Argos showed more in a loss than maybe in a few of their most recent wins. Like, I I had said all along, this is the best team, and people I talked to, whether it was Glenn Suter or others, said, no, I think Winnipeg's the best team. I said, the Argos are the best team, and then there's a gap between them and everybody else. And in that loss, they showed what I was saying all along, in my opinion. Yeah, they, they I don't know if they got Winnipeg's best, because I think a little bit of the air was deflated. I know we were all looking forward to that game on the schedule, and then Cameron Dukes ends up getting the start at quarterback, a few other uh, uh, substitutes uh, in the defense and offensive side of the ball. So it wasn't quite the contest we were hoping. I do think it was a bit misleading, though, because I, I don't feel like that was Winnipeg's A game. You've seen, like, you've seen Winnipeg's A game up close. And, and you know how they mm-hmm. can they can explode, and we didn't really get to see that when they took on Cameron Duke. So I, they may be saving a little bit of that for for BC this weekend. I do think Winnipeg is a very good team, but they're not great. Like they are beatable. That's how I feel. How do you feel? I don't think they're the juggernaut that they were. I still think they're a really good team. I think when they're on, they can play with anybody. And the the difference in them this year is that we've seen them play some games where they're not on, and that's uncharacteristic. Look at their their losses to the East teams, right? They lost to Hamilton, to to Ottawa, and you look at these games, and you're like, well, how did how did this happen? This is Winnipeg, but yeah, they're they're not the same Winnipeg Blue Bombers that they were. It doesn't mean they can't be excellent. They can be, but maybe not as consistently so. I love uh, Canadian football and Canadians and football like you. In fact, the Argos are starting 10 tonight in the game, which is cool. But um, are you a believer in Trey Ford? I guess what I'm asking, are you? if you were in uh, Trey Ford's stocks right now, would you be buying? Would you be holding? How would you, how would you feel right now? I, I love Trey Ford, and I, I am buying, and I hope that he goes on to have a, an amazing CFL career. I, I hope and I, I don't think that's unlikely either. I, mm-hmm. I really like how he's positioned. I think he's, I think he's a great athlete. I think he has really developed his own game throughout the course of the season too. And you don't always see that within one season. It'll be a real test next year when defensive coordinators have a year of film on him and they can make some adjustments. We've seen players in the past have good first years and then struggle. I really think he's going to be a good player long term. I, I don't think I know his stats are incredible. I'm, I'm not ready to put him in the category with with Vernon Adams. Uh, Chad Kelly and uh, Zach Caleros yet, but another year like this, and I think we are having those conversations. So uh, tonight, uh, the second game, we kind of touched on Winnipeg and BC a bit. I really believe if the BC Lions are going to play what I think is going to be a matchup with the Toronto Argonauts in Hamilton, at least get to the Grey Cup from BC's perspective, they got to win this game tonight and have home field advantage in the playoffs. I think so, too. I have BC tonight. I, I think it's going to be a great game. And this is the game the schedule makers were hoping last week would be. Yeah. At least I got one of one of the two to, to work out. Yeah, this is going to be an excellent one. Anyone who's a CFL fan, regardless of the team you cheer for, you got to be watching. 
tonight because it, it's going to be a yeah, it's going to be a beautiful game, I think. And I, I do think BC can pull it out. They've got weapons like like nobody else. Mm-hmm. And so if, if and in their place on that in that dome, uh, you know, they're, that's a hard place to play, as you well know. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I, I think BC takes it. So back to uh, Argos, Winnipeg, and people were on the uh, Toronto Argonauts. Oh, you're you're ripping off the league. It, it's a buzzkill. And I said, don't blame the Argos for being good. Blame the blame the schedule maker. This league has to get it right that way. Like. You know, you got to have Toronto and Winnipeg as your first game of the year, your Grey Cup rematch. Let's let, let's get it going here. I agree, I, and I think like, and if you're not going to have if you're not going to have the Grey Cup rematch as the first game of the year, then have the have the first game of the year in Saskatchewan or in Winnipeg. You could show up those beautiful stadiums. You have a packed environment and like something where it's a spectacle. This this year didn't open with uh, with a bang, yeah. uh, and uh, you know I, I would like to see that. And in terms of scheduling a game like Toronto-Winnipeg, I, I don't think they thought in a million years that Toronto or Winnipeg would have wrapped up a, a division by that point. Uh, so I don't think they viewed it as a risk. Like September, or in late yeah. September, you're not usually thinking that, but don't risk it. Put it early in the season, and it doesn't have to be something you worry about. It's different with Winnipeg-BC. You know, they're playing uh, multiple times. With Winnipeg-Toronto, they only had one game. Yeah. Only one matchup all year. You've got to put it early. You can't risk that being... Uh, a game that didn't matter for one of the teams. Well, no disrespect, but the championship team shouldn't get a bye the first week, okay? And number two, it was kind of an upset in Saskatchewan. No disrespect to the Argos. I, were, I was cheering for them in the Grey Cup, but it was kind of an upset, so it would be great to have them go at it, their only matchup right back at it. Kind of like the 2009 Grey Cup when the Rough Riders lost in the 13th man and they had the epic return match to start the season, July 1st, Canada Day 2010. Yeah, no, that's true, and and I I could get on board with that. I just think anything other than well, I, for and this is a whole different conversation. But why are they only playing once in the season uh, anyway? Stupid. Yeah, yeah stu- that's the other thing that bothers yeah, me. Yeah, stupid. Lastly, from the outside. Uh, how do you feel about the riders? Like, I'm closer to it. Sometimes it's great to back the camera up, uh, 35,000 foot look and look at it. Like, I think the riders are aren't as bad as their record indicates, but they can't seem to put it together. Yeah, that's just it. I actually really like this Riders team. They can't get out of their own way, though, in crucial moments. It just seems like every time you need them to step up, they, they don't. And yet they, when they're not, you're not expecting them to, they do some amazing things. Like, I think, I think they've got some tremendous players on the offensive side of the ball. I really like all of their quarterbacks, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see what, we'll see what happens as the, as the playoffs get near. I'm assuming that Saskatchewan is maybe it's a big assumption, but I think they're going to, Clinch a playoff spot very shortly, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we can start talking about down the road. But I love the Saskatchewan football team. I think they've got great pieces on the defensive side of the ball. I am a Shivers fan as well. It's just that it seems like they've they've shot themselves in the foot. Uh, the BC loss was. I know it ended up kind of getting out of hand, but that was a game that Saskatchewan had when it was twelve eleven mm-hmm. coming down to the end of the first half. You're thinking, hey, if they could just go down into the half, down a couple of points, this is the ball game. And then 15 minutes later, they're down by three touchdowns. So yeah, um, it's and all on little mistakes. So it's it's a team that I, yeah, I don't think anyone wants to play. I think a team, as they proved against Winnipeg, the Riders can beat anyone, but they can also lose to anyone too. It's it's a they're 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 a die that has only ones and sixes. You can check this guy out on Twitter at Ben underscore Grant. He also does work at Three Down Nation, and he's the color commentator on uh, the Toronto Argonauts radio broadcast. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. No, no worries. Always happy to talk to you. 
Sports Talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. All right, so each uh, week we always have so many great guests, and I'm not saying that because I'm bragging. Well, yeah, I'm saying that because I'm bragging, because we do. I, I put a lot of... I'm having a tough time keeping these alligators down. Woo! I uh, know. Uh, Sean and I put a lot of effort into lining up the guests. We do more in three hours than other shows do in like two weeks. So we always have uh, lots that we can go back to, and people miss a lot. You can always get it in podcast form, but we call this Sports Cage Rewind. And yesterday we had G. Roy Simon on. He couldn't be there for the actual induction at the Connections, but he'll be here tomorrow because his team's playing tonight against the uh, Toronto Argonauts. Of course, he's a member of the Elks. So here's our chat yesterday with G. Roy Simon. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yes, I'm coming to the game. Uh, we play in Toronto tomorrow night, and then I'll fly back with the team and then basically just uh, sit at the airport for a few hours and get on a flight to Regina. I'm looking forward to, uh, awesome. to getting out there and seeing a bunch of guys. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad you're getting out here uh, because, uh, I mean, I don't know if this championship would have happened without you. And I've talked to Darian Durant. I've talked to Mike McCullough. I've talked to a bunch of the guys. And they said, you know, D- you know, G. Roy Simon came in here. And when we first heard he was coming, it was like, what? G. Roy Simon's coming here? And, I mean, you weren't G. Roy Simon from five years earlier, at least uh, on the field. And maybe that had something to do with offensive schematics. But when they needed you, you were there. Just talk about your role in that 2013 team. Yeah, it was it was um it was it was kind of it was kind of tough at first, you know, coming from BC where I'd been the, the go-to guy, and, and you know, you know, certain situations the ball was coming to me. Um, it was a learning process for me, um, but you know, one one thing that I always that I always remembered is, um, you know, when you get to a team, when your role is defined, you got to accept that role and and do it to the best of your ability. It took me a little while to to, to figure out what it was, but once I once I figured out that that. I wasn't the go-to guy on offense. Um, you know, I, I figured I, I, I felt it was best for me to step up in other ways, and and that was you know not you know maybe not you know doing as much on the field, but being more of a leader in the in the locker room and, and teaching the, you know trying to help help some of the young guys um, you know to to be better pros and 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 get the most out of their abilities. So, G. Roy, that's a good statement there. I want to dive a little bit into that. Um, so, never heard you put it that way. So, you you had to figure out your role. Was it laid out for you, and then you it it finally clicked for you, or is that something you figured out as you went along and just said, "Hey, I'm not going to be the guy. I got to figure another way to to get a championship and help these guys out." Yeah, I mean, I think um, just you know, I played so many years, and 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 you know. Just, just through experience, you know, you can be paid as the number one guy. If, if the ball's not coming to you, you know, it's just not coming to you. You know, whether they're rolling coverage away or whether you know the quarterbacks are just not throwing it to you, or or you know, other guys are playing well and you, and, and those guys are getting fed the ball. So, um, you know, it was just one of those things that that I always realized that you know your role is your role, and, and you know you, you can you can have expectations of of doing one thing, but um, in the end, it's all about, you know, putting the team first and, and you know, doing what's best for the team. And, and that's where I, I'd always have success uh, when I got to the CFL because that's that's one thing I had to realize that when I'd gone to the NFL, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the top dog. I just, I, you know, and I had to do other things to, to be successful. 
And then, you know, once I, once I, once I really hit home, I, I just, I just kept it with me throughout the rest of my career. G. Roy, I gotta say, I hated the pose when you were a BC line. Respected what you did, but I hated the pose. But man, was it sweet to see twice in the Grey Cup your first, uh, first two Grey Cup touchdowns. What was that like? Take me back to that night. You know, it was it was amazing. You know, when, when we when we won the Grey when we won the West Final, and then we had our first our first practice um, <clears throat> over over in Everest. Um, you know, because it was it was so cold, it was indoors. I, I made it a point to talk to George Cortez and say, George, you know, uh, you know, I, I played in a number of great cups, but I've never scored a touchdown, so let's make it happen. And you know, to you know, to George's point, um, you know, he he designed a couple plays the, that that would that would give me the opportunity. And we we got, you know, I think it was Corey Sheets had a, had a long run, and we got near the red zone, and and he called the play. It was a corner, it was a corner post, and and you know, something I you know, I obviously I was. I was adept at running for for a number of years, and and I just say you know I'm a, I'm gonna give it my best my best uh, route and and daring through it, and to to see the ball coming you know it's almost like it's almost like a movie you 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 kind of it kind of everything slows down um, you see the ball in the air you see it in the lights and that's one of the best feelings for me as a receiver I'm actually getting chills right now thinking about it, um, but you know to see the ball coming down and and I'm like okay it's going to the back of the end zone I better. I got to get to it, but I know the stands are there, so I got to kind of slide to, you know, because I don't want to run run full speed into the stand. So, um, to you know, to to see it, to catch it, and and to have an opportunity to do the pose and 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 in front of thousands of fans and millions watching across Canada, uh, and and all the fans of Regina, it was it was something that was it was an amazing feeling. It's almost hard to explain, uh, put it in words because it was it was one of the best feelings I ever had in my life as a, in in my wow. career. My favorite one, though, that was a good one, but my favorite one combined everything that you were good at. Uh, I can't say much about the route. I, I just watched the game, watched the game back. I didn't, you know, so I didn't have the wide, uh, wide view of the, the route, but it's on the far sideline near the Hamilton bench. So you used your hands, which you had great hands. You used your balance. Well, you used some strength to break a tackle, and then you used balance to tippy toe down the sidelines like a ballerina into the end zone. Talk about that one. That was silky smooth, that one. Well, the funny thing is that the series before, Darren had thrown a – he called the same route, um, and, and Georgia called the same right route, and Darren threw it to to, uh, to Chris Getzlaff, and he didn't score. And I was like, you got to get in the end zone there. So um, he called the – you know, he called it the next series, and I said, shoot, I have outside outside leverage. The DB has outside leverage, so i got to take an inside release and give him the illusion that I'm going to the post. And so basically it was the, it was the opposite of the first touchdown – I run a corner, at, you know. I run the. Uh, I gave him the post move and then went to the corner. And once I once I go go over the top of him, stacked him. I knew that that uh, the ball was coming. And once I once I you know the ball came down, I caught it. I said, okay, I got to get to the end zone. So I gave a little bit of a hesitation move, like I was going to kind of stop, and then I just kind of kept going. He fell off, and I knew I was on the sideline. So I just you know just just tried to stay in bounds because in 2011 I caught a corner route. And I tried to tippy toe down the sideline, and I got and I got pushed out of bounds. So, all those things kind of run through your head in in a millisecond, where you know you re- you remember all these things. So I said, you know, I got to get you know got to stay in bounds, got to get in the end zone, and it happened. It, it was it was another great feeling. You know, it's a great uh, that's a great um, 
example for young athletes, young football players, any sport, you're persevering, uh, maybe things aren't going your way, maybe a little dark at times, but at the end of the day, if you persevere, if you're a good teammate, a good person, and you keep grinding, generally more times than not, things are going to go your way. I think that's a great lesson right there. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is I, I actually, on the ride here from, uh, from you know, from the airport, I was just thinking about the exact same thing because, you know, there was there was plenty of times in my career where um, whether it's playing or even now um, as, as an executive, you know, where I wanted things to, you know, to go my way and, and I wanted to have make decisions and wanted, you know, things to, to work out for me. But, and, and at times when they didn't, I just, you know, just kept fighting the good fight and kept, you know, being a positive person, being a good person and being, you know, not only a good leader, but a good follower and, and, and doing what's best for the organization. And now I'm getting opportunities that, that, that most people wouldn't get or most people wouldn't have, have, have stuck, stuck it through to, to get to where I'm at. And it, and it's something that I talk about on, on a daily basis, you know, just, you know, when things are, are dark and things are tough, just keep fighting a good fight. Keep doing the right thing. Keep, you know, putting one foot in, in front of the next. And, and things usually work out for good people. So uh, let me ask you a couple more quick questions. I know you're busy, and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. So uh, did you really realize what you had accomplished in Saskatchewan, like what it meant to the province. Like We're talking about George Reed who passed away here, a trailblazer and a guy that helped us get our first championship here. The team's only won four, but that was equally memorable. It was on home turf. It was the third in a row. Like You did it in B.C., Toronto did it the next year, and then you're back again in Saskatchewan. Did you kind of, did you, did you get a grasp of what that meant to the province? At, at, the, at the time, I didn't. Um, but I, I I finally started to realize how how much our, that team and that win meant to the to the province of Saskatchewan, the city of Regina. Um, once we once we won it, once we you know started you know going around to different places and and you know uh, and celebrating with with the people in Saskatchewan and, and bringing the Great Cup and and and, and sharing stories. Um, that's when you really start to get an understanding of of. Um, of what it means and, 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 and how, how special, you know, that team was and that, you know, and, and that, in that time to the, to the organization in, in the province. Um, so it was, it's something that, that, uh, that I'll, I'll remember forever. I wear my, my ring with pride, even though I, you know, I only played one year with the riders. Um, I wear, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of, of wearing that ring and putting it on each and every time. Um, so it, 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 it not only means a lot to, to, to you know, people in, in Saskatchewan, but also us as a group because, you know, we, we understand the sacrifice that it took and, and, and what the sacrifice that, that the organization, you know, had, had gone through for, for many years. Folks, last question for you, uh, G-Roy. Folks, Rider Nation, uh, you may or may not have heard this. So, so G-Roy, there was a... There was a uh, Bad stretch there for this team. You had lost four, and it was a, you know, talking to guys, it was a player-driven team at that time. Guys like you, Darian, you, you stepped up. But I want you to take me before the West semifinal, because this does not, this doesn't happen if you don't have a conversation with Darian Durant, and he told me this earlier this week, telling him, hey, man, use your legs. you got to take this upon yourself when you get the opportunity. And he did exactly that in the fourth quarter, and he credits you with giving him that advice. Just talk about that. 
Well, yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to get to games early um, before everybody else gets in the locker room and have, you know, a little bit of time to kind of reflect. And also, you know, I was I was 37 years old, so I, I need a little more time to warm up. And Darian was there. <laughs> and, you know, obviously playing playing all the years in B.C., um, and, and understanding, you know, what makes them tick and what, you know, what, what they struggle with. I knew that, you know, when we got in trouble that his legs would, would be a determining factor. And, you know, I just, just told him, I said, you know, if, if you get the opportunity and if we're in trouble and you get the opportunity, just take off running because that's what hurts BC you know the way they play defense. That's what hurt BC at the time, where I knew that 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 can be an X factor that that they you know not not that they didn't prepare for, but um, that that was the weakness of the defense. And and you know he was very decisive when 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 those opportunities came, and, and George put him in great great positions to to be successful at it. And you know you know being down being down and and and, and you know him you know it basically opened up for him and he just takes off it was it was it was great to see that you know he he taken that you know that advice and 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 you know it helped us win the game and go on to the west final and ultimately great cup well i was happy myself that superman wore green and white for one year helping us get a championship thanks for your time look forward to seeing you on saturday thank you so much i appreciate it 28 with your sports ticker and the ALDS and the NLDS get going tomorrow on Saturday. The Texas Rangers and Baltimore Orioles, Minnesota Twins taking on the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies taking on the juggernaut Atlanta Braves and the other series, the Arizona Diamondbacks and L.A. to meet the Dodgers. Let's head ringside and check in with the oldest major junior hockey team in Canada. This is Pat Chats from your official voice of the Regina Pats, 620 CKRM. Pat Chat for the Canadian Brew House, two locations in Regina, one in Moose Jaw. All the sports under one roof with a great menu and many flavorful drink selections as well. Well, yesterday, the Regina Pats honored Bob Strum, the greatest GM in team history, as he's going into the Regina Sports Hall of Fame tonight. One of his players was there as part of the ceremonies at the Brand Center, Nevin Markwart, the former Pat Great and Boston Bruin. My first year junior, I got cut. I didn't make the damn team. Oh, Sorry for that. Uh, so I don't make the team. I went up to Strummer's office, and I just gave him the gears. I was just like, your third-line left winger is terrible. I can't believe you're cutting me and making me play for the Pat Blues. And Strummer just sat stoically in his desk, and he looked at me, and he said, go down and get better. That was it. Wow. He had no other advice for me. And that was so, the last year of the Pat Blues. So and, Is that right? Yeah. So the... You, so you killed them. So two years later, so I get cut from the Pats. Two years later, I'm in the starting lineup playing the Montreal Canadiens in the Boston Garden. So wow. it was awesome. But um, but again, uh, you know, watching these guys play. Uh, my dad was an iron worker at Ipsco. That, that was his career. And in 1977, my dad and I walked around in the hole that they created for the Agrodome before they built it. So there's this big hole, and we're 
walking around. I'm in grade seven. And I got to tell you, my hockey aspiration was to play for the Pats. It was never to play in the NHL. It was The NHL was too good. Like, I had no... But you, but you got there, yeah, right? You but played I 10 there. years in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, that's that's remarkable in itself, isn't it? I ruined my left shoulder my fifth year, or I would have played, you know, I you know, I would have played 20, 25 years. Wow. I mean, it, it was very disappointing, but but that's sports. You you have to improve every day, and if you get an injury, it's just hard to improve. What really blew me away, though, Nevin, is that you went from that 81-82 season and that conversation to Bob Strum to coming up and joining that team that went to the league final, and so yeah. that, your introduction to the Western Hockey League was kind of a portion of a season, but then as a 19-year-old, you make the Boston Bruins. Yeah. I mean, well, what an amazing couple of years that was. So so I get cut from the pass uh, my first year junior, and I'm a you know a December kid, so I, I got the weird draft where, yeah. you know, my first year junior, I'm not in the draft. So my first year junior, I get cut. I go down and play for the Pat Blues. My line is me, a kid named uh, 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 Kurt Wickenheiser, and another kid named Essa Tickenet. <laughs> okay. So it was a pretty good line for the SJHL, let's put it that way. And so we kind of tore it up down there. I play some games um, at the end of the season of that first year for the Pats. Um, we go to the finals against Portland and lose. Um, they go on to the Memorial Cup and lost every game. Like, they just got killed in Portland. Um, next year, I come to, you know, this Agrodome, and we've got the uh, uh, bunks uh, on the, I guess, the West Concourse as we're, you know, doing the training camp thing. And maybe we're three days into camp. And I come up to the concourse area here of of the uh, Agrodome, you know, Brand Center, and there were some press guys there, and I walked over to them and I said, "Hey, guys, how do you think I'm doing?" Right? Because like, if I get cut, I'm I'm gonna quit playing hockey. Like, I'm just like, this is ridiculous, right? So I go over to these sports guys and I'm like, "Hey, uh, are you guys watching these games? Like, how am I doing?" The guy, one guy looks at me, he goes, "What are you talking about? You're rated eighth overall in the NHL draft, <laughs> and you went 21st, right? And I went 21st." The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Friday's show is brought to you by Nelson Homes, supplying home packages and RTMs for over 65 years. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Thanks to them for their continued support of this program. Nothing goes together like pizza and football. I'm joined by our NFL betting analyst, Andy McNamara. Okay, DJ Moore shows up in Chicago last mm-hmm. night, eh? Yeah, he sure did. Holy moly. What a what a game for Moore, the Bears. That was, I think, um more so a just an encapsulation of frustration. Dick Buckkiss died and they just rallied around it and put up a forty burger. I don't know if I'd get too comfortable about these type of performances from the Bears. No, you're right. And and I'm glad you brought up Butkus because earlier uh, last week we had talked about, or this week, sorry, we had talked about the George Reed passing away mm-hmm. and Jim Brown. When you think of the Riders, you think of George Reed and Ronnie Lancaster. When you think of your favorite team, the Browns, you think of uh, Jim Brown. And when you think of the Chicago Bears, you think of guys like Gale Sayers, Walter Payton, and Dick Butkus for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the classic names and just, like, when you think old-school, hard-hitting football, and you take a look at Dick Buckus, you're like, that guy could play in any era, and that was just a mean dude. And you know what? One of one of the greats, so unfortunately, he, uh, he passed away, but 
you know what? The, the Bears use it as some sort of motivation. I, again, you played the Commanders who weren't great and probably overachieved, and I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it long term. So let's look at a few of these games this week and see if uh, you know there are guys you like to start or play. Okay, let's go Jags and Bills. It's in London. It's an early game. Any thoughts on any players in that game or just the game in general, Andy? These London games always spook me a little bit. They're kind of like the Thursday nighter where you get weird stuff, right? Like like Thursday was, was weird with the Bears putting up 40. If that was a Sunday, I don't know. Same with London. You're traveling. The Jags, if they're home away from home, does that matter? Eh, probably not. But we look at the line, and the Bills, after stomping on the Dolphins last week, who were crowned the previous week, are only five-and-a-half-point favorites. And that lends me to pause for a moment. I'm like, hmm. hmm. I don't know. if I, I'm not sure if I want to necessarily bet on this one. If we're talking about guys to play, you know, prop plays, you can pretty comfortably take whatever over there is for Stefan Diggs on catches. Fantasy is the usual suspects. Um, I'm di- really digging Christian Kirk in fantasy, though, Ballsy. Like, if he kind of slides under the radar, but after a very slow start, he has heated up rapidly. And outside of Calvin Ridley, that's the guy you want to play. Okay, so this Lions-Panthers game, uh, Jared Goff might be poised to have quite a game because the Panthers pressure the quarterback the second least in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, and the Lions, man, they look for real. Panthers winless, right? It's on the road. Now we look at the 10-point line, and these double-digit point totals usually – Make me think. Okay, let's let's break it down a little bit here because there can be money to be made in these type of situations. Now, if it was let's say the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Panthers, ten points, book it. I'll take that all day. The Lions, while I'm impressed and I think they are for real to a degree, there's still that, that like, new good. It's like new money. You're not like uh, John Patton the Third. You know, you're, <laughs> you're Jimmy who won. You're Jimmy who won the lottery, right? You're yeah. still not used to how to how to hang being good, and that's why I think maybe there might be something to take the the Panthers covering that ten points, where the Lions I still think are going to win. So uh, my lock of the week, my lock of the week, Dolphins over the Giants. Oh, oh yeah, I, I'm with you. That is a okay. Let's 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 break this one down. The Giants are terrible. We know that, and the Dolphins, who were crowned two weeks ago, got dethroned and are mad. So yeah, it, we're looking for this is one of those situations. The Dolphins are favored by twelve. Y- yes, please. I think that makes a ton of sense. I'll I'll take that that lock of the week for sure. I think that, and you know what? If you want to be a little more bold and uh, as a, for a lock and something that could you know, get you maybe a, a bit of a better payout, the Texans against the Falcons in Atlanta. Atlanta, one-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, is anybody watching how C.J. Stroud is playing compared to Desmond Ritter? Yeah. I think I'll take the Texans. Like, look, the Texans aren't good by any means as a whole stretch, but C.J. Stroud hasn't turned the ball over. The offense is clicking to a degree. You got a guy, you talk about a fantasy stack, give me Tank Dell, the rookie, with C.J. Stroud, rookie stacked all day. And the Falcons, come on, man. Like, did you see this, Baldy? Kyle Pitts is the most targeted tight end mm-hmm. in the NFL, and he has 11 catches. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not blaming Pitts. No. I'm blaming the quarterback, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think Texans is a good play at one and a half points as a straight-up winner. It pays plus money. I don't mind it. And, hey, I like their all-red jerseys with the helmets red, too. That was a nice look, not actually. Bad. You know, it's it's decent. And, and again, you, you put the Texans against a lot of teams that are going to lose, but there's that thing you look at with the quarterback. 
a rookie who hasn't turned the ball over yet. And we're in week five. We can't discount that with C.J. Stratton. So uh, I don't know if uh, if the Steelers quarterback plays, but I don't think it's going to make a difference. I know we both aren't Ravens fans. Uh, we both aren't Steelers fans. I probably won't watch this one unless I'm having trouble sleeping. But the Ravens, <laughs> the Ravens should smash the Steelers, in my opinion. You know what's weird though, Ballsy? It's one of those division games, right? Yeah. We know we see weird things. You know, you see it with your Chargers and all that, right? There's any division, it can be strange, and those are two hard hitting defenses. That's why the over under is at thirty eight. I might be inclined to maybe take that. That seems just about right. Maybe the under. Um, I'm hoping actually that the Steelers win to keep the Ravens in check so they don't run away with the division. Uh, but and, and honestly, I think you might be better off to go with Mitch Trubisky. Like Mitch Trubisky, the backup for the Steelers, has won games in the league. He's mobile. He's not perfect by any stretch. That's why he's a backup. But he's sure as hell better than Kenny Babyhands Pickett, who can't move the ball at all. <laughs> if you want to win this game, I think you put Trubisky in. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Eagles at the Rams. The Eagles haven't lost, mm. but they haven't been pretty. And Cooper Cup no. might be back for the Rams, they're saying. So uh, how does that affect their new receiver and his production if Cooper Cup comes back? Oh, Puka. We got Puka and Tutu, Baldy. How about, how about that? Who, who, are, who are that, that guest in that? Puka and Tutu were the, uh, yeah, yeah. the two stars for the Rams. Yeah. Those would be the leading receivers. I think it negatively affects Tutu Atwell. Um, if you're in fantasy and you have him, now would be the time to try to sell before the game uh, to maybe a less savvy fantasy player. Try to see if you can lock it up if you just look at the stats. This seems like a little bit of a trap. Like, I'm, I'm looking at this. The Eagles are only favored by four. Clearly, on paper, the better team. But Vegas always knows, right? And by four, I'm thinking, you know what? I might take the Rams to, to cover in that one if not maybe sprinkle a couple on a straight-up upset win. Hmm. Interesting. You know? Interesting. How about this one? This is an intriguing one. I won't keep it too much longer, but oh, ba- yeah. Bengals at the Cardinals. Man, the Bengals, mm-hmm. their their playoff hopes could be uh, teetering. I know it's early. And how about this Joshua Dobbs guy? He can't I even know. he can't even get a jersey at the team store, yet, <laughs> yet he's a dude that's, uh, you know, keeping them at least a little bit relevant. Yeah, for sure. And you know what's interesting? The Bengals started one and three last year as well, and then won ten in a row because they had that knock dead that yeah. game canceled because of the Bills, right? Right. So, however, this is a lot different because last year it was a slow start with Joe Burrow had the appendectomy, was slow to get back, but that you know that Jackson Hill, that calf isn't going anywhere. That calf, unless you shut him down for a month, isn't getting better. And if you shut him down for a month, your year is done. You say Josh Dobbs and. Boy, who would have thought the Browns traded him as the backup for a fifth-round pick? Boy, I could have used him last Sunday, I'll tell you that, over uh, over what I saw against the Ravens. And you look at Dobbs, fantasy-wise, he's an absolute stud as far as what he's done. And mm-hmm. if, if you if you fantasy players are looking, he's still available in 80% of most leagues. And Baldy, he hasn't thrown an interception. He's running 40 to 55 yards a game. And I'm not saying he's going to be uh, putting up Patrick Mahomes numbers, but if you're looking for someone who's getting comfortable, who's getting the confidence of his team and distributing the ball very well to a Michael Wilson, who that should be on someone else's fantasy radar too, and his receivers, it's actually quite surprising. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised at all if Arizona wins this game. 
Yeah, it could be interesting. You're right about that. I, I don't totally disagree. There's an interesting 4 o'clock window game, Chiefs and the Vikings, and the backfield is where I got my focus. Pacheco is now picking up steam in the Chiefs' backfield, and Cam Akers got a nibble last week with the Vikings. Oh, boy, I, I just can't buy into Cam Akers, man. Like, I want to. I want to, but, like, you know what? Ever since, I think it was the Achilles was it Achilles or ACL? I can't remember. But he had he had the really bad injury, and he just has lost his explosiveness. It's just it's just not there. Can you get it back? I, I don't know. Maybe, but it's not. Yeah, you're right. Pacheco picking up steam. The Chiefs' backfield always scares me, though, because just when we think we have it figured out, Jarek McKinnon will get two touchdowns from the one and ruin our day. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what we kind of look at. I hope this is a fun shootout. Uh, and they just like Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes each throw it up for 350. And of course, Kirk Cousins blows it at the end when it counts. <laughs> like he does. <laughs> well, like he it, tends to do. It's not quite, pri- it's not quite prime time, although when the game ends, it'll be on, on the edge of prime time. So we'll, we'll yeah. find out. Hey, and lastly, obviously the juiciest game of all, the Cowboys and the 49ers, a classic yeah. NFC battle. How do you feel about Brock Purdy in this one? I, I feel that the 49ers just as a whole, including Brock Purdy, they are just a machine. They are just a well-oiled machine. Undefeated, the Cowboys, of course, got punked by the Cardinals and, and surprised. This is going to be, I think, a very interesting game to see because I want to see um, how Dak Prescott, he's been very ordinary overall this year to me. Mm-hmm. Um and while Brock Purdy, he's efficient. Like, Brock Purdy doesn't have to do too much. That's the beauty of that Shanahan offense. Debo Samuel can run wild for you. Christian McCaffrey, whatever. Right? And George Kittle has barely done anything, and they're still undefeated. So I want to see, what does Dak Prescott do on the road? And this, in week five, can he start to take his game to the next level? Because if this Cowboys team wants to get where it wants to go, you got to have Dak step it up to the level he was a couple years ago. All right. Where do they find you, Andy? All your great stuff, Andy McNamara. Oh, thanks, brother. Yeah, uh, Sundays and Tuesdays, the Sick Podcast with Andy McNamara on YouTube, on Twitter, at AndyMC81, at SickPodBrowns. And Sundays, we go live 10 a.m. Eastern, fantasy football and betting tips the whole day. We go live. We go we go through all the news and notes and answer your questions using hashtag AskAndy. Thanks for your time, man. Always fun. All right. Talk to you soon. See ya. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at SportsCage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Well, what's it like to be? I'll start with you. I guess what's it like to be back in, uh, in Saskatchewan and uh, reliving old memories and getting back together with old teammates? I think by far that's it, getting back with your old teammates. It's funny because... Even though it's been so long, you fall right back into it, right? All the same old jokes, the same vibe, the same feeling. Um, these guys are seriously like brothers, and especially the fact that we accomplished something together as brothers, it, it makes it that much sweeter. So it's been great. I'm loving it. It's only day one or 24 hours or so since I've been here, and I'm excited for the next few. What about you? Pretty much the same. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to explain in some ways because you actually got to kind of live it to actually get that full feeling of it, you know, but it's been great. You know, we just it seems like we just pretty much picked up where we left off. 
you know, going through what we went through as a team and to be able to come back now and just all the old stories resurfacing and just bringing that bond back together, it's been an awesome feeling. The thing you miss most after playing is over is the locker room. So yeah. it's like we get to steal that a little bit back yeah. for these few days. The stories aren't, oh, remember that game when this? It was remember this is Terrell Mays and Tyrone Brackenridge. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For both of you, what's the biggest memory you have from that game? Oh, well, I guess one of the biggest memories for me in that game was, you know, all week we're, even leading up into the playoffs, Shane will always say, do you guys want somebody else sitting in your locker, mm. right? And uh, none of us wanted nobody else to sit in our locker, right? Because we was hosting the Grey Cup, you know, of course. And, uh, and then we, we wanted to, you know, do things traditionally as we do as a normal home game. And they were like, listen, this is a CI, uh, uh, um, CFL championship game. This is not technically a Riders home game or anything like that. And so they wanted to, you know, do the introductions and stuff like that. And we agreed as a team, like, you know what? We're going to storm the field like we do. We're all going to come out together like a normal home game. And for us to do that, you know, and just kind of do our own thing, that was that was pretty memorable. Yeah, he, he took the words out of my mouth. When we ran out as a team versus being announced individually, that was – it was like from that moment on, like, oh, it's over. We it's got over. it. Like, <laughs> we're just so unified right there and um, – I think besides that, I think after just once you realize like, wow, we really we really did it because from day one in camp we were saying we want to win the championship. That's the goal. There was no other alternative. So when the clock hit that point where oh, and we start letting our fans on the sideline yeah. and celebration yeah. kind of began, yeah. like, that was sweet. Yeah. How much of a hurdle was it just to get past BC in the first game of the playoffs that year? <laughs> Thank you, Darian Durant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he, now, go ahead, go oh, ahead. Sure. I mean, I guess we we're going pretty much same the same thing. He put that he put the team on his back. You know, he was put, put together some remarkable drives. They couldn't stop him. And um, you know, we as we know is BC is a good organization. And um but there was there was nobody that when we when we were all together, there was nobody that can match with us. It was we were a very tough team to play and, and especially when we had home field advantage. Yeah, we're a very tough team to beat. Yeah, I think. Oh, sorry. I was gonna add. Just um, there was a moment in that game where you had that little bit of doubt sinking. I'm sure from the outside looking in too, and you can't help but feel it on the field. Where you're like, all that work is it? Is it? Is this the point? And then to get past that and move forward, I think that's how we rolled into Calgary with so much momentum, and then rolled that right into the Grey Cup. So I think that was the moment in the in the off season. I mean, postseason that kind of. Like to get past that hurdle and come together. Thank you, Darian, again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, we, yeah. We was, wanted we wanted Calgary <laughs> bad that game. That 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 right there was that was the the that was a big game for us mm -hmm. right there to go to Calgary and do what we did. I think we had seven takeaways. Oh, we we they had no chance, and we knew from there. We knew Hamilton had absolutely no chance. <laughs> yeah. We didn't want to say it. But yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we saw what was on the schedule. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember after the Calvary game, uh, you guys didn't even want to touch the West Division. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Like I said in camp, I, I promise. Day one, Chandler set the vision. Like mm -hmm. these are how many days until the Grey Cup at our stadium. Like. Yeah. We have to be there and we have to win. Yep. And so the Western Championship is like, okay, but that was never the goal. We appreciate it. We're grateful, but 
We had more work to do, right? right. We didn't want nobody sitting in our lockers. That was our lockers. You know what I'm saying? Right. How would you how would you like somebody else? Yeah. Somewhere else to put their cheeks on your seat. Yeah. You don't want that. That's how you painted the picture. That's like someone's gonna be sitting in front of your number twenty locker, yeah. going to play out, play in the gray cup while you're at home. Like, no, nah, that's unacceptable. Right? Using so. your showers, your bathroom, and they cheeks on your seat. We don't want that. Is is there a moment during the season where it all of a sudden felt like this wasn't going to just be a normal season? Something special was starting here. I would say um, the energy was there from the beginning. I, can't, I think I could keep saying it, but it, honestly, in camp, it was just that buzz. So it never felt normal. Even from the free agents we brought in from the 12 to 13, you just knew it was like, yeah, uh, Chick coming back. You had like the DBs we brought in, like DA. Um, it was just a, it was a vibe from the start. And then we had these moments. You know, we're still learning each other in the beginning, right? Because there were some new, unfamiliar faces. We had our, um, uh, what's it called when we get together a camping trip? Oh, uh, we, we did it. We do a camping trip every year, but that, you that off the field camaraderie when you right. and we all get together and. I think, yeah, yeah. once we had that, it kind of like sealed the connection and it's like, all right, let's go, let's go do it. So. Yeah. Now that, that was huge. Like you said, the off season acquisitions, us gelling together. Um, we, I don't know if they still do it, which is, it would be beyond me if they don't. But those those camping trips that we do is like nobody else invited. It's just us as the team, and we just literally just let our hair down and just be us. You know, we camp out, playing mm -hmm. games, and all of that. So that that definitely brings you together. You know what I'm saying? And um, that and then just the the battles through the, the ebb and flows of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we 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 lost sheets. He uh, tweaked his knee. We, he was out for like four or five games. And we went on that four-game losing streak. You know, of course, he was a big part of our offense, a big player in this league. And, uh, you know, we got him back when we went out to B.C. to play in B.C., and he, he lit it up, you know. And that also that also initiated a spark and to keep us all together, you know. So we were able to have all three phases of the game as a team to be able to put it all together and, you know, win that great cup. What's it like just a decade later to be honored and still have fans say that's one of the greatest nights of their life that they ever got to witness? Um, it's, 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 it's crazy because you start, I mean, for me, I didn't play that much longer after, so that's kind of, it was kind of like the, I guess, the pinnacle, that point in my football playing career. Um, so it was a big moment for me, right? And then to, um, you get kind of lost in life, you go, you live in regular life, mm -hmm. you're working a job, you don't get to revisit those feelings often. So then when you get to come back in the same environment that, you know, my last time here really was being a part of that so it's amazing it's um it's it's you don't realize how much you miss it until you get to be around it again right so. absolutely that that feeling just resurfacing you know and then you know with the fans you know because being being a a player with the riders man you and the fans literally just embrace you with open arms mm -hmm. you know and i always talk about from the day i got here i just felt that you know and then to be able to do something so remarkable here in the hometown of regina where the team is, you know, where the team is, where a lot of the fans were pretty much born and raised, you know, it's how can you not have that be the most memorable time in your life, you know? And Today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.